Jersey. This is the Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN and the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. Now live from the Matt Black Kia Studios, here's Mike Gill. Holy moly, it's a Thursday edition of the Sports Bash live, 97.3 ESPN, the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. Beautiful day outside, lot happening. Oh, man, I am looking forward to a fun day on the show. I'm your host, Mike Gill, Josh Henning, producing today's show. You out there, uh, a lot going on inside the uh, NFC East right now. As the Eagles have set their coaching staff, that we know, Nick Sirianni, Kellen Moore, and Vic Fangio. The Dallas Cowboys have lost their defensive coordinator, Dan Quinn. And he is staying inside the division. Dan Quinn is the new head coach of the Washington Commanders. So now Dallas needs a new coordinator. Washington has a new coach. And now the NFC East is ready to rock for the offseason. The coaching hires are all complete. Dan Quinn is the new Washington head man. And, you know, it's interesting because what it does to Dallas now. Dan Quinn has been a very good defensive coordinator, I think. I think Dan Quinn has done a really good job with that defense. I think he's maximized that defense from a really bad defense a couple of years ago. Do you remember the year that Dak Prescott was, like, out of his mind, insane, and they were winning games like 48-45? I mean, it felt like he was going to just shatter records. Instead, he shattered his ankle, and their defense was so bad that year. Then they hired Quinn, and he really did a good job with that defense. The Dallas defense has been very good. I'm so glad we won't have to see video of Dan Quinn with his hat on backwards standing up in the press box any longer. I would imagine for this head coaching role, he'll have his hat on straight and he'll be on the sidelines in Washington. But in Dallas, he was always, you know, they always went to the video of him upstairs with the hat on backwards and he's out, which means Dallas needs a new defensive coordinator at a similar time last season when Philadelphia lost John Gannon. It was like two weeks later that the Eagles lost John Gannon, and then they had to figure out what they were going to do with defensive coordinator. But now Dallas is in that spot. What do they do at defensive coordinator? What's left out there? Who are they looking at? I heard one of the names already that was being reported. I think it was Ron Rivera. Um I don't know that if I'm a Cowboys fan, I'm all that excited about Ron Rivera. He was up for uh, the Eagles job as well. The Eagles passed on him, went with Vic Fangio. But think about that. Now Dallas is going to have to insert a new defensive coordinator. Now they could stay in-house. They could go with somebody on the current staff and kind of keep that going. And that could just be a, a synergy there. But, hey, we saw what happened with the Eagles when the coordinators started to leave. That's one thing in Dallas that they generally don't have to worry about. Nobody seems to come to Dallas to pluck their coaches, right? When was the last time a Dallas coordinator got taken to be a head coach somewhere? I can't think of one, can you? Uh, Kellen Moore was there as the the coordinator. He got fired, got picked up immediately, and now he's on to his second job. Um, Wade Phillips was a, um, well, he was the head coach in Dallas, 
Uh, I can't think of the last time a Dallas coordinator was the hot NFL coaching hire. Doesn't seem like it's happened in quite some time. So this is really the first time that Dallas has had one of their coordinators poached from them. So they're going to have to find a new coordinator. And keep this in mind with that whole situation. It's something you have to take into account. The new coordinator that comes in here, what level of coordinator, if they go outside of the organization, are they going to get when Mike McCarthy is on some shaky ground? Because if I'm Ron Rivera, and let's say the Cowboy fan out there wants Ron Rivera, and I don't I don't know that the Cowboy fans are all that excited about Ron Rivera. I, I, I could be wrong. I don't think the Eagles fans were all that excited about Ron Rivera. But play along with me, if you will. Would you like to indulge? The If you bring in Ron Rivera, he might say, if that's your top choice, he might say, well, Mike McCarthy gets fired, I'm out anyway. So I'm not all that interested in that because your coach is on some shaky ground. And, you know, the thought that you know Bill Belichick looms over everything here, right? Where teams just like, hey, we want to go with the younger guy and try to see if we hit the home run. And if we don't, we can always back the car right back into Bill Belichick and bring him in. I don't know. But Dallas now has to find a new coordinator on the defensive side of the ball. And another question will be, with Dan Quinn, how many guys from his staff in Dallas will he bring with him to Washington? And now Washington has more of Quinn's staff with him there. And Dallas now has to start finding. You know, the longer the offseason goes, the less qualified candidates sometimes to make up these staffs exist. Now, Washington waited pretty long to hire their coach, but it's not abnormally long. You know, I talked about this the other day. Today's February 1st, by the way. Happy February to everybody. We've gotten out of the month of January. We've reached the second month of the year. This month is flying by. The year is already, it's already, we're like, oh my God, this move, this year is moving so fast. We're in February. Tomorrow's Groundhog's Day. Holy mackerel. I can't believe we've made it to Groundhog's Day already. But, the Eagles hired Nick Sirianni on January 24th. Um, so we are just a week past where the Eagles made the decision to hire Nick Sirianni. And that was late in the process. If you remember, Doug Peterson, you know, nine days after his press conference, decided they were going to go in a different direction. And that's where we are kind of right now is or a week after where the Eagles hired Sirianni. And now Washington makes their hire. And that would be everybody, right? All of the coaching hires have been completed. So Washington's the last one. They have filled it with Dan Quinn, formerly of the Dallas Cowboys. He was the former head coach. He took Atlanta to the Super Bowl, by the way. I mean, I think I think he did a really good job with uh, Dallas. I think that's a loss for them. But I'm wondering... How the Dallas fans feel about that. By the way, text message comes in. Sean Desai for Dallas defensive coordinator. How ironic would that be if he went there and then became like this wizard? You know, had Micah Parsons. He's moving them all over the place. Parsons turns into defensive player of the year and just wrecks havoc. You were asking when was the last time, Mike, a Dallas high-level coach coordinator yeah got a job i, I have I mean, the answer for you all right so i'm trying to think because 
You know, Jason Garrett was the offensive coordinator. Then he got elevated. Right, but he was the interim coach, and then the head coach. But he, was, he didn't leave the organization, though. That's what I mean. I'm saying. So like, I'm trying to go through coordinators that they've had. This is before Jason Garrett. Yeah, I, I like no one's knocking on the Dallas door to go get the uh, masterminds of their offenses and defenses. You ready for the name? I am. Sean Payton. Wow, you're going way back. 2005 Cowboys coaching staff. He became the Saints head coach in 2006. Okay, and that was a while back on the Parcells staff. Parcells, correct. Right, just Peyton's a Parcells kind of uh, disciple over there. So you're going way back the last time that this has happened to Dallas. You know, I look, I don't think it's going to be a... First off, I think Dan Quinn did a good job in Dallas. I don't love him as the head coach anywhere. Um, I don't know. To me, it just doesn't scream that the organization's going to move and take a jump in a the, this a big jump in the right direction because Dan Quinn. Now you might say, listen, when they hired him, he was in uh, Seattle, right? Uh. I think he went back to Seattle. I mean, double No, check. when Atlanta hired him. Oh, when Atlanta hired him, yes. Yes. So when after it, the Falcons, I don't remember where he went before the Cowboys. So when Atlanta hired him. Yes. He came from the Legion of Boom. He was the Seattle defensive coordinator. And, you know, he did take that team to a Super Bowl. Like, they were in, in the Super Bowl with Dan Quinn. But, I mean, remember, they had Shanahan was the offensive play caller there. Yeah. Um, I don't know. coaching staff. Who's going to be his coordinator? Uh, what are they going to do down in Washington? Who comes with him there? Uh, there's a lot of questions now. Like, why do they hire Dan Quinn? What did what did he sell them on? Uh, you know, his defenses in Dallas were good. They weren't like great defenses. They were very good defenses. A lot of turnovers and sacks because he had Parsons there, um, Diggs two years ago, and then. This season, um, um, who was the corner that they had this year with all the interceptions? Bland. Oh, Bland, yeah. De'Ron Bland. Right. Um, you know, so it just to me, like, Dan Quinn doesn't score. Dan Quinn screams like we're the 11-6 and six team. Now, I can see the guy saying, well, that's what Philadelphia was this year. Yeah, and guess what? That was a bad year. People wanted more than, like, you're the 11-6 and six team. And you're the wild card team. Like, that's Dan Quinn for me, for Washington. And if Washington is 11-6, and six, by the way, they're probably going to do backflips. By the way, so I was looking at Dan Quinn's time in Atlanta. It, it seems like when things started falling apart was when he lost Kyle Shanahan. So is Dan Quinn, is his success tied to whoever the OC is? I think so. I mean, his best years, you're right, were with Shanahan. But not to mention, he had Matt Ryan, Julio Jones, Calvin Ridley, they were first in the league in points. They were second in yards. Um, I don't think he's got Matt Ryan, Julio Jones, and Calvin Ridley walking through the doors in Ashburn. No, but we should note that they went from first in the league in scoring to 15th the next year without Kyle Shanahan. Now, they do have the second pick in the draft, which means you're likely going to get rid of Sam Howe, and you're probably going to have... Drake May or Jaden Daniels be your new quarterback. We'll see. Is that a scenario where maybe you go and look for a guy out of college? Like I don't know if you saw last night, people were losing their minds because the Packers hired the BC head coach, Helfrey. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I don't know what Dan Quinn's contacts are because you know who was his coordinator after Shanahan? Do you have Steve that? Steve 
Oh, that's a that's a um, college uh, that's a college head coach though. And right then after now. two years, they fired him, and they He's brought not coming in, in. They brought in Dirk Cutter. I do remember the Dirk Cutter to uh, he left Jacksonville and went to uh, Atlanta. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so how long was Quinn in Atlanta? He was in Atlanta for six years. Wow. Okay. And they went to the one Super Bowl, and of course he was the coach of the team that flamed out against the Eagles in that game as well. And yeah, I, I mean, I'm not if, if I'm a if I'm a Commanders fan. I don't know how many of those guys we have listening in the audience, and I know Corey, the Commanders fan. That's one uh, first one in my mind from uh, time to time. I don't know how Commanders fans feel about this. I mean, would you have rather Bill Belichick? Would you have rather Mike Vrabel? If you're the commanders and you said, hey, we got Dan Quinn or we could have had Mike Vrabel. Forget Belichick now for a minute. Mike Vrabel was available. I mean, I'm surprised at Vrabel. What happens to Vrabel now? Like, does he go defensive coordinator? Does he sit the year out? Is he a TV guy? Like, there's so much talk about Belichick being in the TV for a year, but I don't. I don't see that fit either, but, you know, it's almost like a fait accompli that he's going to be on TV for a year and then wait for the next hiring cycle. Yeah, I th- I think Vrabel probably goes to TV unless maybe he go. you know, he did have that one year where he was coaching on the Ohio State staff. Does he tell Ryan Day, hey, I'll, I'll come be like a senior assistant or something for a year and help you out while I wait for the next cycle? Maybe, maybe. I mean, you take a look at Vrabel getting – being the guy that uh, didn't get in out of the three, I think is the most alarming for him because the other two guys, yeah, they're older. Maybe we just didn't want to go in that direction. The perception that Belichick wants all this power. You know, what is the perception problem with Mike Vrabel? Like that he didn't get something. You know, I really thought Vrabel did a great job teams in Tennessee that generally weren't all that talented for the most part. They always were in the mix. They always kind of played hard. They always kind of played above their talent level. Right. But I don't know. So now things change for Dallas. They need a new coordinator. Things change for Washington. You've got now Ron Rivera was a defensive-minded coach. He was a defensive coordinator. Now their coordinator was Jack Del Rio. Um, he'll be gone. And yep. Eric Bieniemy. I wonder what it means for him. Do you retain? We, we didn't even really throw him into the mix here. If you're Dan Quinn, do you just now retain Eric Bieniemy? It's a good question. By the way, I've been going through his coaching history, and there is one name that he has worked with before that might be interesting who would be available if he wants to be an OC. He worked with Jason Garrett in <laughs> Miami. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I don't know that that's happening. I'm just saying, you know, we talk about these guys and who's on their Rolodex, you know. It's a good find, good pull. Um, yeah, I can't imagine that Jason Garrett comes back to be the offensive coordinator in Washington. Like, I don't Wasn't see... he the coordinator in, with the Giants for a year? Yes, he was. Yeah. Um, I don't see Jed Fish leaving college to come be the OC for Dan Quinn in Washington. Yeah. Because he worked with Jed Fish, too, for a couple of years. Yeah, I, I like... If I'm, if I'm, uh, and I don't know if Bienemy, I can't imagine there's any ties there because Bienemy had been in. Well, no one's interviewing him. No, I'm talking about ties to Quinn. No, but I mean, like, he wasn't even interviewed by anybody. Well, what was his, did he have a one year deal in Washington? Let me double check that. Because he's still, like, that was the weird part was like, 
people really have been unclear of whether he's still under contract from Washington. Like, did the new coach come in and he's just, like, forced to take the enemy? He signed a two-year deal. So he has another year left. So, so you would imagine that he's going to stay and be the guy. So do you and if think, I'm Dan Quinn, I yeah. probably am okay with that. Yeah, if you're Quinn, do you say, hey, I'll keep him for one more year and see if it works out? If it doesn't, then I go and get somebody else? I would think so. I would think so. So right now, whose situation in the NFC East do you like best? The Eagles. They, do they have – it's oddly that they almost have the most stability. I mean, the Giants have – did the Giants hire a new defensive coordinator? Did I miss that? Let me double check. I didn't see anybody get hired. I know they were interviewing people still. Dayball is the head coach. Right. And he calls the plays. Right. He's also the play caller. I don't know who their offensive coordinator is. Right. Because Denard Wilson chose the Titans over the Giants. That happened today, right? Right. That's why I, that's why I was thinking, like, wait a minute, they haven't hired anybody yet. Because I know Denard Wilson interviewed for the Giants gig, but he chose the Titans gig over. Jack Del Rio got fired during the season. Correct. Yeah, thanks for that text. Good uh, good pickup by you there. I figured he would have been out anyway. Dan Quinn being a defensive mind. Even if Del Rio made it, he wasn't sticking around because Dan Quinn would will, will probably call the defense. So Ejera Alvaro has interviewed for the Giants. So the Giants it. haven't fi- hired a defensive coordinator. Right, they are still So the, the Eagles hunt. are the only team in the division that has their whole staff intact, and they just hired the guys last week. Pretty much. Think about that. That the Eagles staff is now the senior staff in the NFC East. Uh, Corey, the commander's guy, chimed in here. There he is. You ask and you shall receive. Thank you, Corey. Says, Mike and Josh, I like the Dan Quinn choice. Washington won it. Two-term head coach, leadership experience, upbeat, stand-up guy. Yeah, I think he, like, again, I I think he, he's the 11-6 and six guy for me. Like, Washington has been dumpster. We need to just, like, become, like, what we thought Ron Rivera was going to do for us. We thought Ron Rivera, like, when they hired Ron Rivera, I felt Washington finally has, like, stability. They have a grown-up. They have a grown-up. They have stability. They have a guy who's won. They have a guy who gives the organization some credibility. And he never really did that for them. Well, he had to survive the Dan Snyder mess. Well, that and the COVID situation. Like, he got hired and COVID came. Right. And then you talk about the Dan Snyder mess. They had to change the name. And then he Twice. was kind of spearheading the name change. Like, he was, was a part face, of that. He's the face of the organization, he basically. He was. It was and, and this goes to one of the things we're going to talk about today. Like, these teams don't want to give their head coach too much on their plate. And it's becoming more and more like, hey, we don't want you to be the personnel guy, the GM, the coach, the play caller, design our uniform colors, come up with the logo. Like, Ron Rivera got into a situation that I think he was kind of like, hey, I didn't really sign up for this, but... Like I'm the only guy. I'm the only guy here, it. right? Exactly. Six zero nine four zero three zero nine seven three. Some news on the Sixers uh, came down a little while ago regarding Joel and Beads and the game that he missed out in uh, Denver. So we'll get you that coming up in a couple of minutes. Here, our Sixers insider Austin Krell is going to join us at uh, in an hour from now. We'll talk to Austin in an hour. 
uh, about this stuff with Embiid. Something that um, Kendrick Perkins said that is kind of ringing in my head, and I'm like, are we at this point? Are we at this point with Joel Embiid in this season? Because when he said this, I was like, are you kidding me? Are we really having this possible conversation? That's all coming up today on the Sports Bash live on 97.3 ESPN. The Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN and the free mobile app. Ron Rivera was a player's coach. Guys loved him. But the difference here with Quinn and the way this structure is set up now is they have a true GM in Adam Peters. We talk about the personnel high. This is a huge draft for a first-time GM. Granted, he came from San Francisco. They know what they're doing. But they have to nail this pick. But at least Dan Quinn, he will have input on the draft and all that. But it's not going to be the same amount of power that Ron Rivera had from a personnel standpoint. I think that's what a lot of people criticize Ron for. All right, so Kimberly Martin on the Dan Quinn hire. By the way, speaking of the Dan Quinn hire, Dallas now needs a new coordinator, to which Micah Parsons said this at the end of the season. Dan's my guy, and if he does leave me, it's always love. He might take me with him. You never know. See Micah Parsons wearing burgundy and gold for the Commanders? Sports Bass Live, 97.3 ESPN, the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. You know, now that Dan Quinn is hired, all of the head coaches have been hired. So why no Bill Belichick? Why no Pete Carroll? Why no Mike Vrabel? Yesterday, we were talking a little bit about Peter King's interview with Carlin and Joe here on 97.3 ESPN. And we played you some audio from that interview. But there was something else in that interview that really stood out to me. And it was a indication of... I think a perception from the fans on what these teams want, you know, there's a perception from Eagles fans that Nick Sirianni is kind of quote-unquote a puppet, right? They tell him what to do. Is that what it really is, or is it just a changing of thought process in the NFL? I don't think it's so much that owners or GMs want guys who they can put in the palm of their hand and tell them what to do. I don't think it's that. I think it is, hey, listen, we want you to coach the team, but we do believe in separation of church and state. We believe that it's too much of a job for one person to be in charge of everything. Yeah, too much of a job for one person to be in charge of everything. And you have to wonder, you hear something like that, did the Eagles feel that Nick Sirianni got had a little too much on his plate last year? New coordinators trying to keep everybody happy. Basically, hey, you had two really strong coordinators the year before. Those guys aren't here anymore. We're going to have to ask you to kind of do more. And it didn't work out. So were we all just default to, well, they only kept him because he's a puppet. They only kept him because, now, there's a part of this that is, I do agree, by the way. I do agree with this. I do agree that they told Nick Sirianni, we we have to make changes. You need to make changes. If not, 
we're going to move into another direction if you don't agree with this. And I think Nick was smart enough. Now, some people would say, um, was he smart enough or was he, I don't know. I had this conversation with McMullen on, on Birds 365 yesterday. I'm in the camp that I said, I don't know that Nick Sirianni was getting another job. Was he going to be a coordinator? Somebody hire Nick Sirianni to be offensive coordinator for them? Probably not. All right. Is somebody hiring Nick Sirianni to be the head coach in this? If he got fired, he stepped away from the Eagles when they had the meeting on that Friday. And they said, Nick, if you want to stay, you got to fire these guys. And if Nick said, no way, they're my guys, I'm out. Does Nick Sirianni all of a sudden rise to the top of the list of head coaching candidates? I don't think so because I think what the teams are looking for is not Nick Sirianni. I think they're looking for someone. Why wouldn't they be looking for Nick Sirianni? A young guy, track record of winning, went to a Super Bowl. Why wouldn't he be the guy that somebody wanted to hire? I don't remember at the time how many openings there were, but there were at least two because two just got filled. But this was like two Fridays ago. Yeah, I mean, he but might have been the in the conversation. That's the thing, though. I don't... That's where John kind of disagreed. He said, whatever his regular season record is, like his winning percentage, he's like, this guy's won like 68% of his games. He went to the Super Bowl. Like, yes, of course he would be a candidate. I, I'm i not so sure about that. I'm having trouble seeing Nick Sirianni, like, being highly recruited after being fired by the Eagles in the way that that went down. You know what I mean? It was the whole, you know, the failing at the end of this season, the collapse, the changing the coordinator. I I thought it was a bad look for him. And I think that he's very fortunate to still have this job. This goes back to one of the things we touched on yesterday when we were talking about, you know, Sirianni. Look, so he goes in with Jeffrey Lurie and they essentially say, listen, You've got to make changes to your staff. And if you don't, maybe it's right for us to part ways. And Mm -hmm. I think Nick was cognizant enough to say, and this is where the whole, no, 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 no. He was afraid. He was a puppet. He does what they tell him to do. And this is where that Peter King line of thinking kind of comes in. Nick has shown examples in the past where he made decisions in which we said, hey, that was a good job by him. Two and five, bad start to the season, not doing a good job as play caller. You know what? I tried. I was the head coach. I wanted to call plays, not working out. Shane Steichen, you take over the play calling. Too much on my plate. So he has made decisions before, and it goes back to the Kelsey bite. The betterment of the team. Nick moving to like a head coaching position. You're moving himself from play calling duties with Shane Steichen, right? That ended up working out pretty damn good. Nick has shown in his tenure with the Eagles that he's going to do whatever he thinks is in the best interest of the Philadelphia Eagles. And he's going to make those decisions, and he doesn't care about how other people perceive it. He doesn't care about anything other than what's in the best interest of the team. And to me, I think players respect the hell out of coaches that operate on that level. It's a powerful bite, really is. The betterment of the team, players respect the hell out of him. Why? I'm calling plays whether you like it or not. No. I'm calling plays too much on my plate, not getting the job done. Shane Steichen, you're now the play caller. In this instance, do you guys, after hearing the Peter King, 
Hearing the bite from Kelsey there. Are you guys saying, you know what, Sirianni was given a choice and he took the choice for the betterment of the team. I'm not going to fight for my guys because my guys didn't get the job done. I'm not just going to fight for the sake of fighting. You know, I, I love this whole thing of, it's like in the broadcasting world. You are the play-by-play guy and then the analyst is the, you know, Troy Aikman would be the analyst, the color man. And I don't understand how, like, we hear, like, oh, the NFL didn't like, uh, the NBA didn't like Jeff Van Gundy criticizing the refs. Why? Why? If the ref makes a mistake, are we not supposed to, are we supposed to act like we're complete idiots in the broadcast and say, no, 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 he did a great job there. No. You call out the mistake, and the the ref shouldn't feel bad or feel like the guy's attacking him. You made the mistake. We just are breaking down the play. So in this instance, I think Nick Sirianni maybe said, look, we hired these guys, and we weren't good enough. For the betterment of the team, we need to move on. I agree with you guys. No, I'm not stepping down. Maybe Doug Peterson he looked at it a little differently. He said, no, I got to stick by my guys, whether they're the right guys or not. It goes back to the conversation I had with Dave Weinberg yesterday about how you saw what Doug Peterson did this year in Jacksonville. He fired his defensive coordinator at the end of the year. And Mike I think, Caldwell. Mike Caldwell, right. And, you know, you have to look at Doug and you have to wonder, maybe Doug just wanted to say in things. Maybe Doug didn't want to be told who I think, should or shouldn't be on his staff. I think Doug was in an interesting situation. He won the Super Bowl. Right. And then the team fell apart. I mean, they had a disastrous year. And he's saying it was almost like at the time, hey, I won the Super Bowl. I should be given the benefit of the doubt. I don't know. Do you give credit to the Eagles by saying the benefit of the doubt's not good enough? And we want you to stay and be a part of getting back to a Super Bowl. But what we just saw was unacceptable. And Doug was saying, well... There's reasons why it was unacceptable. We had all these injuries. Give me another shot. And they're saying, we're giving you another shot, but we feel like we, you know, this goes back to just because you won the Super Bowl, you know, it's the Dan Campbell thing. Just because you did something all year long doesn't mean in the playoff game that you keep following the same blueprint. Because if you're going to keep following the same blueprint, eventually that's going to get figured out. To me, also, one of the differences was, and this is something that you, know, you and Moshe have talked about in football at four over the years. The whole Doug had, you know, uh, Rich Scangarello was the run game coordinator and Press Taylor was the pass game coordinator. And then Doug was calling the plays. And I remember Doug saying in press conferences and, you know, motion, you would talk about it, how he would say, well, why would I want this job if I can't call the plays? You know, so it seemed like... Doug wanted to be a play caller. Doug was very entrenched in doing things a certain way. Whereas Nick Sirianni seems a lot more flexible. He's just kind of like, hey, I want to be the head coach. I want to run the team. I don't need to call the plays. Yeah, and, like, listen, I don't think that Nick is the premier coach in the league. Listening to a little, I, I thought that Peter King conversation was really an eye-opening um, thought process on what kind of teams are trying, how they're trying to streamline from the front office to the coach. Hey, we want you to have input, but let us do our job. Like, just think, if you were the GM of any team, you're not Howie Roseman, you are whoever you are, and you're the GM. You're hired to be the guy that evaluates the talent to pick it. I wouldn't want to go blindly picking talent. I would want to talk to my head coach. 
And I think we have this perception of like, well, like if you're the GM of the team, you want to be able to do your job. You don't want someone to tell you how to do your job. Well, they played the game. Well, guess what? There's a lot of people who played the game who are not good at evaluating talent. Then there are some people who played the game that are good at evaluating talent and vice versa. There are people who didn't play the game that are that do have a good eye for talent. Just because they weren't talented enough to play at that level doesn't mean they can't identify talent that can play at that level. I hate that argument. Well, you didn't play the game. So what? I wasn't good enough to play the game. Doesn't mean I don't understand the game and what I'm looking for. I wasn't fast enough. So if I was a little fast, not me personally, but if I was just a little faster and I actually got on the field because I had more speed, am I now smarter no, of course not. It's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Yeah, be, being physically gifted is not the same as being the, able to process information to make a good decision. They're not one and the same. Uh, Colin and Kate May Courthouse says, Hi, Mike, with the Washington hire Quinn, it begs the question of enemy. Will he ever get a head coaching job? Um, you know what? That's a great question. I don't know what the heck has happened with enemy. Did he have a good year in Washington? Did he have a bad year in Washington? What was he viewed as in Washington? I mean, Sam Howell is a guy that most people, I imagine, never even heard of before this season even started, and he was the starting quarterback uh, for Washington. And if I was to tell you, hey, Sam Howell is the quarterback of the Washington Commanders, and, you know, he finished top t- uh, 12 in yards this year. I mean, he had a pretty solid season for a guy that no one had really ever heard of. I don't know what to make of the enemy situation, why he's not getting a job. Um, but it, it's, it's he, he didn't even get an interview this time around. Well, that's the thing. It's like he was like completely the forgotten man. And now, according to Mike Garofalo and NFL Network, it looks like that uh, Quinn is going to bring the defensive backs coach from Dallas to be the defensive coordinator with Washington. Okay. So, so I brought that up in the first segment. How many people jump ship and leave and go with Quinn and that Dallas is now going to have to replace? It's probably going to be more than we expected. Uh, Cole from LBI says, why would you want a head coach that you don't think even could get a coordinator job? Um, I didn't say I don't think he would even get a coordinator job. I just don't know that teams would be lining up to hire him as a coordinator. Right, like how high on the got, list would if, he be? If he decided that he was leaving. But it's a fair question. I think I see what you're saying. Why would you want to head coach? Because this is what I say, Cole, and this is the thing that bothers me about the whole process. John Harbaugh was not a coordinator. He was a special teams coordinator. He wasn't an offensive coordinator. He wasn't a defensive coordinator. But what he was was a great head coach. Why do we think the only people qualified to be the head coach are play callers, whether it be offense or defense. Why? Why do we think a person has to be an offensive play caller? Or Andy Reid wasn't a play caller. He wasn't getting the coordinator's job. And guess what? He turned out to be, from some people's money, the greatest NFL head coach of all time. He wasn't a play caller. He was the quarterback's coach. So you don't have to be the coordinator. I don't think Nick uh, Nick Sirianni would be a great offensive coordinator. I think he makes a better head coach. And there are some people who are better coordinators than they are coaches, uh, head coaches. And I think there are people who are better head coaches than they are coordinators. I don't know that John Harbaugh would – I don't even know what side of the ball John Harbaugh would coach. I think he was a defensive backs coach. He was a defensive back coach for one season. Right. He asked basically, hey, can I be a position coach – 
because if I'm a special teams coach, I feel like I'm not, not getting getting the, and he gets hired. He wasn't a coordinator, uh, John Harbaugh. He wasn't a defensive play caller, but we get so narrow minded in this. Well, you have to be a coordinator. You have to be a play. No, no, you don't find the best person for the job. And I think that's the best part about Nick. That's the thing I like about Nick the most. He is not pigeonholed into, well, I'm an offensive coordinator. I'm a play caller. No, you are a leader of the football team. Like, there are guys who do it well. Sean McVay is an offensive mind. He kind of stays out of the defense. He's the play caller there, and it's worked for them. But there's not everybody that can do that. And Sirianni knows what he is. I'm not the offensive play caller. I'm the I'm the guy who's in charge of the 53 men in this locker room. That's my job. And guess what? That's the job that I want to be fulfilled. I want my head coach to be the guy who's in charge of the 53 men. I don't care that he calls the plays. I don't care if he's the was a coordinator. Quite frankly, I'm better off with him not being a coordinator. I don't want him to be the guy that wants to call the plays. Now, the new coach in Seattle, Mike McDaniel, just hired. He said right off the bat he's going to call the plays in Seattle, but he said he's open to passing that off. And it's interesting because that kind of leans into the other part of what Peter King said yesterday with uh, Joe Fortenball and Chris Carlin about what NFL teams are looking for in head coaches. Coach the team and advise on the draft, but do it the way the old New York Giants did, which always got Bill Parcells ticked off. You coach the team, you make suggestions about the draft, but we're going to have another guy who's going to pick the players. I think that more than anything is what I am learning about the way that NFL owners, club presidents, and GMs want this to go. And that's the way it should work. Coach the team. If you get hired to be a GM, why would you want somebody else doing your job for you? If you got hired to be the coach of the team, why would you want someone else to do your job? If I was the GM, if you were the coach, do you want the GM coming down calling plays on game day? Nope. So why, if I'm the GM, do I want – now, I want your input. Right. I want you to say, what kind of offense do you run? What style of players are you looking for? Mm-hmm. Who fits your offense? Give me ten names that you are interested in. We're going to cross-reference that with our scouting list, and that's basically how we're going to try to find the best groceries for your meal here. And to further point out what he said about the Giants – Bill Parcells in the 80s, he did not call offense. He did not call defense, Mike. He coached the team. He told his coordinators, look, I'm, I want to know what you're calling, but I'm not here to tell you what to do every step of the way. You know, the the, the thing they talked about, I, you know, I read I read a lot of these books about, like, Bill Parcells and about the, the coaches of the 80s. You know, Gary Myers wrote one book, Bob Glover wrote another one. And one of the things that Parcells used to be, he used to say, I don't need to be your bleeping babysitter. I, I need you to do the job. I hired you to be the coordinator. And so if that's what Sirianni is, if Sirianni says, look, I don't need to be your babysitter. Do your job. Maybe that's the formula for success moving forward. Um, interesting conversation coming up. John McMullen will jump in board on board. What's the NFC East look like now that everybody is intact? Head coach, the Eagles actually have the, the staff that has been together the longest. All of a week. Less than a week. Kellen Moore got hired on Saturday. But the Eagles staff, head coach, offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator, 
has been together longer than any other team in the NFC East. More sports bats coming up, 97.3 ESPN. Think about this, all right? Spring training, pitchers and catchers, 14 days away. Think about how nice that sounds. More sports bash coming up. It's Mike Gill. Do I have everybody's attention now? On 97.3 ESPN and the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. 251, hope you're enjoying your day on a sports bash Thursday. Mike Gill, 609-403-0973, 609-403-0973. Mike, the higher fire rate in the NFL is insane. How often do coaches actually part mutual ways versus getting fired? David and Vineland. Well, that's just wording now. They get fired. Everybody's afraid to use the word fired. Guess what? If I'm gone, I either got fired or I decided to leave. We didn't part ways. That's not happening. <laughs> uh, if you don't hear me one day, I got fired or I parted ways or I left on my, I mean, I left on my own accord. Uh, there's no parting ways. Everybody gets fired. The parting ways is just a way to like, I don't know. It's like the whole thing with the, uh, the, the, the broadcast of the games. Like you can't make uh, a comment about the ref making a mistake. You made a mistake. What's wrong with that? Like I don't, I don't, I don't expect the ref to be perfect. So if I can't criticize him, I mean, come on. How do you get better? If I don't say, Hey, there was a call that was wrong. <laughs> That's how you get better. You don't want to get called out on the broadcast. Don't be wrong. And then you get better because, oh, my God, that guy ripped me because I made a mistake. Yeah, that's how you get better. I don't want to hear my name getting ripped by the broadcaster because I made a mistake. Think about this. I make the mistake. Somebody rips me, and then that person loses their job because they pointed out that you made the mistake. What a concept. That's essentially what happened to Jeff Van Gundy, right? The NBA didn't like that he kept criticizing the referees. He was openly critical of them during games on ESPN. And they basically, the NBA said, you got this guy who keeps ripping our refs. You got to get rid of them. Why? Wouldn't you want them to keep calling them out? Don't you want your guys to get better? That's the whole concept here. But, you know, back to the text message, 609-403-0973. People just part mutually part ways because uh, they don't want to say we were the bad guy. We fired that person, and uh, quite frankly, be the bad guy. Fire the person. Get rid of them. They're not doing their job. Fire. It's okay. I have no problem. Uh, one day, if somebody says you're fired, okay, all right, I'll probably have a party. I don't have to work for a couple. I have a couple weeks off. You know, just, you're allowed to use the word. You got fired. It's okay. The NFL should do it. The NBA should do it. Sports are allowed to do it. Uh, I hope, and I hope that trend ends. The part partially, uh, what do they say? Uh, they parted ways mutually. They mutually parted ways. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like when, when people think of the word being fired, it's that you got fired because you did like something wrong. Right. Not right. Wrong. <laughs> You're right about the yeah. wrong. Right. All right, Sports Bass Live. That's one of the things that happens. Well, we are so poor at managing our money that we have to let you go because our budget is awful. Right. So, therefore, we're parting ways. No, you're firing me. 
Right. That's what's happening here. You're firing me because of your ineptitude. Right. It's your fault why I don't have a job. The, you know, the answer is you are so inept at your job that I've now lost my job. Right. <laughs> that's exactly that's essentially what ends up happening in these situations. That's how you get fired. That's why you don't get fired, uh, David Violent, because the person doing the firing is so bad at their job generally that it causes you to lose yours. So now they part ways with you instead of firing you. Right. Instead of them taking a pay cut, you lose your job. <laughs> So uh, that's the genesis of your text message that asks, how come teams mutually part ways? There you go. Johnny Max coming up. This is the Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN and the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. Now live from the Matt Blatt Kia Studios, here's Mike Gill. All right, hour two of the show. John McMullen from First 365 is here. He's brought to you by Galleries, Bar, Book, and Games at Ocean Casino Resort. Go to the gallery, go to Ocean, go for the win. For more, visit OceanAC.com. Gambling problem, 1-800-GAMBLER. Uh, new head coach in the NFC East. It is Dan Quinn. Oddly enough, John McMullen, the Eagles staff, of Sirianni, Kellen Moore, Vic Fangio are now the longest tenured full staff in the NFC East. How about that? Uh, yeah. Well, uh. <laughs> They're the only one that's been intact, that is all the way intact. Nobody else is even fully in intact at this point, right? But, uh, what is the deal? In uh, The Giants don't have a coordinator on defense. Uh, Washington doesn't have one on either side of the ball. Uh, and Dallas now needs a defensive coordinator. Yeah, and and you know, there's talk that Brian Schottenheimer might go to Washington with uh, um, uh, Dan Quinn. It'll be interesting because he could call plays in Washington. He can't call plays in Dallas, so it'll be interesting to see how that shakes out. But uh, yeah, uh, a lot of upheaval in the NFC East, and and Washington was, you know, pretty interesting. It, it's pretty clear they wanted. Ben Johnson, who was asking for extraordinary amounts of money for a first-time head coach, so, um, and then you sort of have to settle for Plan B. We've seen in Philadelphia sometimes that can work, uh, but yeah, overall, it's uh, it, Jody and I were talking this morning. Astonishing amount of defensive coaches in this hiring cycle. You would think in the modern NFL. I always feel bad for defensive guys because they seem to be behind the eight ball when it comes to head coaching jobs. Not this year. Um, vast, uh, the, the majority uh, are defensive guys, what, which is very, very strange. What do you think the messaging there is? I heard Peter King the other day talking about how, you know, these um, – these teams now they they want to kind of streamline more the between the front office and um, the the head coaches and that they want more of like a collaboration. They that's why Belichick they didn't want someone come in saying I want it my way. Uh, but why you know is it because the defensive guy is more of a CEO style guy? I mean, how do you kind of uh, break down in your mind why it went? Because I was surprised too that all these defensive guys were getting hired. Yeah. Um... I think more owners are realizing it's a it's an it's a leadership position, and it's really about leading an organization more than a scheme, whether it's offensive or defense. So I, I think you know it was oh you got to get the you got to get the bright offensive mind. Um, you know if you can't lead people, it doesn't matter how good your scheme is. So 
I, I think more people are coming that that realization that it, it's leadership first, and that can come from uh, anywhere. Um, and I think that's probably a good sign uh, that owners are getting a little smarter when it comes to these hirings. But you know, we'll be talking in two years, and at least four or five of these guys will be gone. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's just the way. You know, it, and it keeps speeding up, it seems. And, and you know, I, I saw that probably mentioned on the show. Um, there hasn't been an offense coordinator in, in the entire league that has been in place before 2022, which is just unbelievable. Wow. I, I couldn't believe it when I saw it. I had to double check. Now, part of that is, is good because if you're, you're good at the job, you get promoted to become a head coach. So it's not all negative situations like it was here with Brian Johnson and, and Shane Steichen would be the positive, uh, getting a, a head coaching job. Um, but yeah, they're just not around long. Um, and it, it seems to be getting, if anything, more impatient, there's less, uh, of a, uh, uh, opportunity to wait and for people to grow. And I think Jeffrey Lohr is a perfect example of that. I, you know, one of my main criticisms is you go into this season, and if you don't expect growing pains from a, a first-year uh, offensive coordinator and uh, uh, an inexperienced defensive coordinator, well, what are you thinking? You know, I, I mean, shouldn't that be baked into your plan originally? I, you know guys have to learn on the job, but the impatience is such – it's just amped up now. I don't know if it's social media. I don't know what to blame it on, but the guys don't get opportunities to settle in and learn. John, uh, you know, they bring in Dan Quinn, a defensive guy. He was a coach in Atlanta. They went to a Super Bowl there. So if you're the Washington Commanders right now and you're a fan of that uh uh, of that team, are you excited about this hire? Do you think this was, you know, when they hired Ron v- Rivera, I remember at the time thinking, okay, they, they got some credibility finally. They, they got a guy who has won and, and can bring some credibility to an organization that really had a perception problem. Didn't really happen. He just had to fight too much behind the scenes with the Snyder stuff, the name changes. He had COVID in there. But do you feel that Washington I don't want to say hit a home run with this, but this is the guy that can get Washington out of being that. They've kind of been the other team in the in the NFC East for a while now. Well, he, you know, he could, and that's the example, but I don't think it'll be viewed as a sexy hiring because I think everybody was so hyped up about getting Ben Johnson there. Now, there, there's a certain degree that people are excited with Washington because Daniel Snyder has moved on. So no matter what, they're going to be a little bit more excited, but you know, from early on, that was the team that was sort of earmarked for Ben Johnson and um, they didn't get it done. And you're, you're, you're going to that second candidate. You're going to a defensive guy. Typically you have that pendulum effect. Ron was a defensive guy. So you're going down the same route. Um, So I don't think it's going to be looked at, as a, a a sexy decision, but again, as the Eagles proved, you know that Doug Peterson wasn't their first choice. Nick Sirianni wasn't their first choice. And, yeah, um, they they both ended up being successful, at least in the short term. Um, well, I so I, it's not- I lean to you as the voice of reason sometimes for people who may be mocking, laughing, or saying this is a home run hire. 
No, uh, yeah, well, I, I don't, I don't know anybody who says anything is a home run hire unless you're hiring a proven commodity. And you know, you brought up Bill, and a lot of people, yeah, they they don't want to give their entire organization over to one person. Uh, and you know, if Bill wants to come back after taking a year off, he'll probably have to maybe leave Bill Belichick, the GM, in the rearview mirror, um, or, or you know, go slowly into retirement. Um, Are you surprised, it, it, uh, John? He wants to get that wins record. He, he's like three seasons away from that. Like he'd have to have three pretty good year. Like you're talking like 10 wins a year for three seasons. I mean, are you surprised? I don't want to say that, that, that he decide to sit out, but like that, you know, knowing that, that he didn't say, you know what, if I have to coach Atlanta and I don't get my way, if I want to win that, if I want to get that number, I got to get back on the field. Well, I, you know, he said, yeah, I, I do think he wants the record. and He's certainly a, a, a student of NFL history. I think it would mean a lot to him. But I, I do think he also realizes, you know, you can't you give up on your belief system if you want to be successful. So, you know, it's kind of um, you kind of weigh that and, and, and make a decision. That's why I was interested in the Eagles rumors, because in theory, you know, he wouldn't have all all kinds of power here mm -hmm. um so i was a little bit surprised when greg bedard heard the rumors of the senior bowl but you know yeah i i think you, you got to believe in yourself and he's had a lot of success so i think that's part of it i i look at it from the other end of the spectrum I, and I think ageism is there a lot. You know, we're, we're talking, it seems like everybody wants to hire, you know, the young guy's going to be there for two decades. And the reality is I just talked about with the coordinators, these guys move on so quickly. It's absurd. They think they're going to not move on from somebody in two decades. So it's kind of like they think they can, you know, gain the system and, and find the next big thing. And, and, and they don't realize their own, sort of impatience uh, negates that whole process. So, you know, it, it's kind of like you're in an Eagles window here. All right, we'll give this guy three years and hopefully he can do something. Then you're on turning the page. And, you know, the Eagles have, let's be honest, they, they have a coach who's coaching for a job. So mm -hmm. um, the impatience, even for good organizations, are, are, are crazy and, you know, Pittsburgh being the exception, and even Pittsburgh fired their uh, offensive coordinator in season. So even that, they're changing a little bit. John McMullen with us here at Birch 365, talking a little bit about some of the changes around the NFC East. Uh, we now know that uh, Dan Quinn is the head coach. What happens with Eric Bieniemy there? Um, yeah, uh, it's always one of those situations, you know, part of the difficult process for assistant coaches when there is head coaching changes. A lot of them are limbo going on in Philadelphia it's right now. So there's certain guys they've given permission to shop around for other jobs like Alex Tanney, which is an indication he's not going to be back. Obviously there's other guys who haven't been given permission and, you know, you kind of wait for big Fangio and, and Kellen Moore to make their decisions. Do they want to go? Do they want their own guy? Do they, 
want to keep somebody um, and, and and these guys are in limbo. And Devontae Smith mentioned, you know, for now, Aaron Moorhead is, 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 is from his standpoint, uh, the wide receiver coach, but will that continue? Uh, it's not a confirmation, but the fact that he's here right now is right. an indication that he might stay and it's probably up to Kellen Moore. And they haven't even officially announced Kellen Moore as the offense coordinator. Carl Scott today was, you know, people talked, uh, it, there was a report, NFL Network, that he was going to be the Eagles either secondary coach or um, senior defensive position. Uh, and now he's going back to Seattle because Mike McDonald gets out there and all of a sudden, you know, it's a very nomadic profession. Maybe he's got kids. Maybe they don't want to move again from Seattle. So, it, and, and all of a sudden he's going back to Seattle. Um, so it, it's, it's a uncertain time of year for assistant coaches. No doubt about it. And, uh, that means, uh, let's get the impact, uh, in Dallas of losing Dan Quinn and now them possibly losing more members of their staff. What kind of impact does that have in your mind that Dan Quinn, what kind of impact did he bring to that Dallas defense? Yeah, I mean, I think people look at the last game and they had a very poor game defensively, obviously, against in the playoffs. And there's no question. And, and there's that immediate reaction of who cares. But, I mean, he's been very, very good for a very long time. And it's probably going to be difficult to replace him at that kind of level. Um, a lot of people thought, you know, Dallas had the best coaching staff in the NFL when you talked about um, him as the defensive coordinator, Schottenheimer, and, and, and uh, John Fossil as the special teams coach. They had really good coordinators for, um, and before Schottenheimer, it was Kellen Moore, obviously. So, um, yeah, I, I mean, we just went through it in Philadelphia. You know, a lot of people, if you go back, and I, I know you and I have talked about it, you know, a lot of Eagles fans just said, oh, no problem. You got the same players. Not going to be any difference between Shane Steichen and Brian Johnson, and and most people thought, well, you got to be better than Jonathan Gannon. How did that work out? Uh, you know, coordinators are coordinators for a reason, and when you have to replace them, especially successful ones, um, you're generally going to take a step back. And again. To get back to that level, you're going to have to let guys grow a little bit. Um, and the impatience we talked about is not necessarily necessarily there at times. And, and, John, they're in a weird spot because McCarthy's situation as a lame duck over there. I mean, if you're a Ron Rivera or a veteran head coach, do you want to come there with the potential that the whole staff can get blown out of there in a year? So then you're almost in this spot where – can we get a veteran guy and kind of keep what we got going here? Do we hire from within or do we have to go with like an unproven guy? Yeah. A lot of people talking about Al Harris down there because of the success of the, the secondary, will they bump him up? Um, you know, or will they go outside the organization? You know, that was sort of the, the choice the Eagles were looking at last year with Denard Wilson, who's now finally got a defensive coordinator job in Tennessee. Um, and, you know, the Eagles obviously went a different route. Um, but in, in a lot of ways, you, you know, I think the Cowboys, if they do go with Al Harris, again, it's going to be the same thing as it was here. First-time coordinator, 
Got to have some patience. Are they going to have some patience? Well, as you mentioned, it's basically a lame duck. He's coaching for his job. Same thing here. I, I don't like that setup, and I've said that pretty consistently for Jeffrey Lurie's Whatever he wants to say to everybody else, it looks like Nick Sirianni has to perform to keep his job this year. And that's not a good situation. Outside the league thinks that. And if you start going in a negative direction, mm-hmm. yeah, bad things can happen when people think the head coach isn't going to be there next year. John McMullen, Burst 365, Jason Kelsey uh, on the uh, New Heights podcast. Are you a regular listener of the New Heights? Do you have to, to like, check in? Or do you make sure you check in? I, I, I watch clips. I generally don't listen to the whole thing. But, you know, they have great PR people who send the major clips out. So I, I usually get the clips. Uh, most of the time, I don't listen to the whole, whole show. Nor do I. But, um, uh, we not, been... not, but it's very entertaining, though. Yeah. Uh, I just don't have a lot of time. So Josh is the resident uh, New Heights listener here. So he heard Jason uh, getting basically, I don't want to say grilled by Travis, but I thought it brought out some interesting bites here. This was one from Jason Kelsey uh, talking about uh, an example of what he sees, why he thinks Sirianni is, is is a pretty good head coach. I thought this was interesting. Take a listen. Nick moving to like a head coaching position. You removed himself from play calling duties with Shane Steichen, right? Yeah. That ended up working out pretty damn good. Nick has shown in his tenure with the Eagles that he's going to do whatever he thinks is in the best interest of the Philadelphia Eagles. And he's going to make those decisions, and he doesn't care about how other people perceive it. He doesn't care about anything other than what's in the best interest of the team. And to me, I think players respect the hell out of coaches that operate on that level. You know, the whole thing that he said there that stands out to me, John, is that he's going to do stuff that's in the best interest of the team. He gave up the play calling, and I think we all kind of wonder – you know, uh, so many of the fans just think Nick is kind of like a puppet and he kind of had to put a tail between his legs. And I don't want to say you've kind of insinuated that you're surprised about this, but is Nick, is this what makes Nick the head coach at the Eagles see, or is he the puppet guy? Is it, hey, I didn't get the job done and I'm willing to do what's best for the team, even if it means I got to move on for some guys that I backed over the years. Um, well, I, I think, you know, I, I think puppet is a strong word. Uh, I, I don't think he's a puppet. Um, and, and certainly not before this uh, off season and this uh, demarcation line that Jeffrey Laurie evidently drew. He got the Doug Peterson offer and he took it. Doug didn't take, um, you know, and that's, certainly the thought process around the league and that's what everybody outside the organization thinks the Eagles can try to spin it in any way they want. I know they make it very clear when there are hires that Nick Sirianni hired so-and-so they want to make it uh, clear that he's doing the hiring. Um, One of the interesting parts is this narrative of now he's a CEO coach. He's always been a CEO coach since that midway point that Jason was explaining um, when he gave up the play calling for Shane Steichen. To me, the difference, the major difference is you're forcing uh, people he doesn't know on him. Um, A lot of the people he was loyal to and vice versa uh, are presumably going to be out. Now, I mentioned Aaron Moorhead. I think if there's certain guys, you know, Stout and Stan, but 
a Jamal Singleton and Aaron Moorhead, you know, I think that's a good thing if guys like that stay and we'll see if they do or they don't. Um, but, you know, I, I mean, I, I've said it. I can't tell you how many times he has said, this is my offense. As long as I'm here, it's going to be my offense. Whether um, Shane Steichen's calling the plays, Brian Johnson, he said Howie comes down and calls the plays, Don Sandra calls the plays, Mike Gill, Josh Henning, anybody calls the plays, it's going to be his offense. And now it's not. And he had to change from my offense to the Eagles' offense or our offense, and it's really going to be Kellen Moore's offense. How does that shake out? I don't know how that's going to shake out, but yeah. I know he doesn't know him. I know he doesn't have a relationship with him, Kellen Moore, or, or at least you know, other than their peers in the same industry, and obviously they they know each other from that, but. This is not somebody he would have went out and hired if he wasn't forced to do it. And that doesn't mean Kellen Moore isn't very good because I think he's very good. Now, Vic's a little bit different um, because Nick's on board with that. He would have been the D.C. here last year. There's no question if the timing worked out. Everybody in the organization likes him, so that part's a little bit different. Um, But I don't think he's going to be ordering Vic Fangio around (laughs) either, you know. There were uh, uh, even even when Jonathan was here, there were there were points where it would say, "Look, we got to do this, we got to do that." Is he going to say that to Vic Fangio? Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think so. One of the things I thought so, was interesting on the pod was when Travis asked Jason about you know what he thought of more, and he's like, "Come on, man!" And he's like, "Well, okay, maybe we could have been more creative on offense last year." Uh, that was pretty interesting. Yeah, I, you know, I, 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 you know, it's almost with the individual. I always, if I'm talking to somebody, you know, one-on-one, I'll say, well, what do you mean by that? You know, and and often you don't get an answer. It's just, you know, the perception I think is creativity is motion. And I always got, we, we had the big conversation. I said, you know, you look at the motion numbers, you know, the Eagles went to the Super Bowl. Last year, they were like 27th in the league. Cincinnati was in the AFC championship game. They were like 25th. I mean, some works for some. I think to me, creativity is in motion. It's, you know, it's what are your route concepts? What are you doing with that? The Eagles didn't need motion the year before to make it to the Super Bowl. No, exactly. And, and, you know, even the, the, the king of motion in the league would be Sean McVay. And I always point, you know, Sean calls it the illusion of complexity. Even he, in other words, you know, the whole point of his system is to make it look complicated, but it's really simple for his team. And you're just trying to test the, the discipline of, uh, of the defense. So, you know, for people who think it's just motion or, 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 or route, con- even route concepts, I mean, how many, how many route concepts do people think there are? Um, it's yeah. So a lot of it is overblown. And ninety percent of the NFL is execution. Yeah. Do you teach it well? And if you teach it well, can they perform it on the biggest levels, on the on the high leverage points of the game? <clears throat> that is far more important. And I think that's what Nick said. You know, when he got a lot of criticism, it's about. 
not necessarily changing things on his offense, but it's about just adding things and getting better and, and sharpening things and just, um, you know, perfecting what you do well a little bit better. Um, yeah, I would say 90% of the NFL is execution. All right, a uh, lot uh, in the NFC East today. Dan Campbell, I mean, not Dan Campbell, uh, uh, Dan Quinn, excuse me, is the new head coach in Washington. That means Dallas needs a new defensive coordinator, and uh, we'll keep our eyes on that and more here on the Sports Bash Live. Don't forget, Birds 365, weekday mornings, 8 a.m., uh, with John McMullen and Jody Mack on the Jacob Media YouTube channel. Thank you, John. Thanks, Mike. Good conversation here. Thought-provoking uh, as you take a look at the new kind of way the NFL is kind of leaning, if you will. All right, when we come back, the Sixers got fined for Saturday. The details coming up. Plus, what would one NBA analyst do with Joel Embiid this season? Pretty shocking. You'll hear it. Plus, our Sixers insider, Austin Krell from 97.3ESPN.com, joins us next. It's tonight. Coverage begins at 10 p.m. Beverly gets it again. The line the lane all the way down, and he jammed it. On 97.3 ESPN. If I'm the 76ers, I'll shut Joel and B down for this season. You mean the rest of the regular season? The rest of the year. Really? Because for the simple fact... Like, this is going to continue to get worse. Like, he's not going to come back and be, like, pain-free, right? We saw last year what happened in the postseason. That's Kendrick Perkins' opinion. We'll talk to Austin Krell, 97.3 ESPN.com, covers the Sixers. They'll play tonight against the Jazz, and you can hear it on 97.3 ESPN. At NBA Krell on Twitter tweets that uh, Maxi and Batum questionable, Morris doubtful, Embiid out. Not good. Things have not been good recently. It's been an ugly trip, Austin Krell, and a $75,000 less organization. They got fined for Joel Embiid's status. So this has been a mess. Do you agree, though, that the Sixers need to consider a drastic decision with Joel Embiid, or is it not that drastic to you? Well, I think, number one, we need to know what the results of that MRI uh, were. I, I think it is a little bit jarring that we haven't quite heard what that is yet, and that leads, leads you to believe a variety of you know reasons why maybe you know why couldn't they have gotten that done? The injury, you know, why is this taking so long to get clarity on this? So I think there it, it certainly doesn't sound like it's great, but I mean there are a lot of medical videos out there from doctors who, granted, are not. Uh, Working directly with Embiid, who, who, have, who have sort of sort of prescribed that it, it could be or diagnosed that it could be, you know, not, not a structural damage thing. So we're still in wait and see mode. But for now, you know, if he feels okay to play, and uh, you know, you, and he can test that thing out, and, and it's not, you know, and there's not there's not a lot of irritation there, and if there's no structural damage to Noah, I think it's just that you play it day by day and you see how he feels. Austin, uh, obviously, kind of give us the timeline in your mind of what's going on here and what this could, you know, Saturday at the last minute, he gets pulled out. We've seen him in. We've seen him out. We've seen him back. He played the other night. He did not look good. I mean, universally, everyone was like, this is uncomfortable to watch. They're saying it's an unrelated thing. Where do you think this whole thing kind of started and how it got to where we are now? Um, There's a lot of different, you know, things that you hear around the week. 
uh, I, I think there there is some belief that this that this, that this is something that happened, you know, prior to Christmas, and he and he and he missed some you know, he missed some time around then. Uh, and you know, I, I don't know exactly what had happened, but you know, this has been a lingering thing by all but ailment with this with this knee and they say that this time around it was not the same issue with Kuminga landing on his leg and that the, the, the knee soreness he's been feeling is separate to that but it does not seem like some you know dealt with and resolved you know uh, and, and then it just came back it seems like this is something that they've been trying to manage for the last couple of weeks uh, ever since you know I think I, I, I would guess around the start of the new year yeah, I mean, obviously, how do you, in your mind, I know um, you weren't out there in Portland, but um, what is your take on him being on that court on whatever night that was? It was, uh, what was that, Tuesday night? Tuesday night, I guess they played in Portland. So how do you think that kind of went? That, that's another wonky kind of story that's kind of happening here. I think we got a bad connection uh, with Austin. We're kind of in and out a little bit there, so we'll try to uh, reconnect with him. But, um, yeah, I mean, Tuesday night, they play in Portland. We're all watching the game, and it was pretty obvious that Joel Embiid did not look healthy in the game. So I want to try to get from Austin if he's heard anything or has any insight on uh, what happened in, in that game in that, the Sixers didn't hear what we've all kind of heard um, in that. Actually, it was Golden State. It wasn't Portland. I apologize. Portland was Monday night. Golden State was Tuesday. All right, let's go to Austin. Um, I wanted to get your take on the game he played in Golden State where it was obvious to everybody he did not look right and, and how it got to the point where he was still out there. So I think like one thing that we have to understand is that Star players have a lot of equity in this league, and you know, on an everyday basis. So if Joel is saying, "I feel okay, let me play," they're gonna they're gonna test it out, see how he looks in his pregame warmup, and you know, take it from there. And then I also think that you know, those pregame warmups, it's not like he's playing a, a practice full court pickup game five on five. It's you know, some basic shooting stuff. You're not really bearing a ton of weight beyond just carrying yourself around the court in a walking type mode. Uh, during those warm-ups. So, I mean, you, you can't really get a gra- grasp where your body is pregame. Um, but star players have a lot of equity, like we said, mm-hmm. and you're largely at, you're largely at the, the mercy of how honest is that player going to be about how they're feeling. Are they going to tell you every little, uh, you know, pain and sore that, that they experience? Are they going to undersell exactly how much pain they're in? And then, you know, you kind of have to do your – due diligence and examine as best you can, as much as you can determine from what they're saying and make a ruling from there. Um, you know, I don't think it would be the worst practice if the Sixers just said, we're going to list him questionable every night, like the Lakers do with LeBron James and just sort of test it out day by day and see how it goes. Do I think they'll do that? Uh, I, I, I don't see I, they haven't done that before. He's been listed questionable a number of times, but it isn't like he's always on the injury report the way that some players are. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, I think it's largely, is he being totally honest with how he's feeling and what he's telling you about how he feels? And if he is, are you, you know, prescribing the best 
you know, uh, course of action. I mean, I don't think it's like the medical staff is going out there and saying, like, we're willing to take a certain amount of risk with this guy who is the linchpin of everything we do on the basketball court. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, I think they're just trying to do these things. Do you, I don't want to maybe place any fault or blame at Nick Nurse to not have the eye test to say, look, Joel, I appreciate you trying. You don't have it tonight, man. Like, let me just get you out of here or is this one of those situations where Joel gets to trump that as well well I, I would say this like I think there's an element of how much of this do you feel like is rust versus your knee just simply not feeling right I mean he had that play in the first half where he goes to make a a, 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 a low man rotation to the basket for a block shot and his knee kind of just buckled and he kind of gave out and fell uh, you know so there, there was that I mean clearly he didn't have the lift to attack off the dribble for most of the night so, I mean, the eye test would certainly warrant that, you know, something doesn't feel right. But, you know, I think you also have to play like, okay, how much of this is he hasn't played a couple of days and is winded or is, is you know, is he's just trying to figure, you know, trying, trying to get himself into a rhythm. But I think there's certainly some element of organizational, you know, uh, responsibility to be like, dude, you just don't have this. We, you know, you need to sit down tonight and not risk further damage here. No question. I mean, at some point in that game, and by the way, fine, maybe you're uh, rusty. You're down double digits with like three minutes left in the game. He's still out there when this occurs. I mean, at some point, someone's got to be the adult for this guy and say, not only do you not look good, the game's over, right? This game, we got to move on to, to another day. And now they're saying that the knee that he has now is unrelated to the previous injury. Are you buying that? If I were a doctor, I would know, right? I mean, I mean, I mean. Look, I think in the age of three-point shooting, uh, I, and even though the Sixers have not been able to buy a made three in quite a few games now, I, I think twelve points with you know three or four minutes left is not insurmountable. So I understand why he is still in the game, even if the flow of the game and the, and the trend of the game is that. They're going to be in in deep water with that. Type that's of deficit, that's that type fa- of- that's fair, Austin. I would just interject with this, as I said yesterday. They were ne- they made a little run, but nothing because of him. Like he had, he yeah. just was out of that's it all fair. night. That's fair. Yeah, I and mean, in fact, they actually expanded the deficit when he got back in because he was throwing the ball. It was ball the only the time floor. Stan Van Gundy has uh, well was right all night when he said they've actually been better with Embiid off the floor than on it. Yeah, I mean that, that. You know, I, what what better? What, what's better than having a ten o'clock game and having it be fan as the color guy? You know, <laughs> um, you know. I mean, I, I mean, I, I I would say this. Like, I think it's very easy for us to sort of sip all every question in the books at the Sixers at Joel, and I think there is some legitimate. There are legitimate questions to be asked, namely, why was he playing in that game? Period. Let alone for as long as he was. But also, I think there's a lot of like you know gray area between what they can tell from what he's saying and what, you know, and what, what he's letting on in terms of how he feels. And so I, I think it, I think it was wrong to let him play, but I also think it's not as simple as like, okay, how does your knee feel right now? And, you know, uh, and y- y- if, if there is any risk, it's a regular season game, it's not worth it, but that's also relying on him being like, yeah, I can't go. So it's, it's a matter, it's a matter of, you know, the responsibility that the organization has, but also the player has to himself and his team of, I can't do this tonight. I got to get off the court because not only does it really not matter uh, what I do in this game, but for the sake of our team long-term, I have to be available. Yeah. Um, so he is not available. We have no update yet today. I know uh, 
He obviously had a fly back from the West Coast. He's here. We'll see what happens. We'll uh, possibly during the broadcast tonight. Uh, they're in Utah tonight, so maybe we'll get an update between now and the start of the game, or sometime during the game. And uh, who knows? I mean, in B, they play Saturday at home uh, against the Nets. I would imagine we're not going to get a Ben Simmons, Joel Embiid matchup there. Uh, so we'll see. But the way this has kind of gone has kind of put this team. I mean, now all of a sudden. Uh, they were feeling good, three seed, almost two seed. They might have been in the two seed for a couple hours at some point uh, a week or so ago. You're now in the position where you've fallen down to five, and it, it, you're starting to get to that situation where, you know, we're back to should it be play, the seedings. I mean, this is all of a sudden starting to feel like another one of these years. So the deadline next week, does this injury cloud the deadline at all for you? I think they have to make a determination as to how long he's going to miss, if, if at all. And then, you know, two, okay, if he if he can still come back this season and be in, like, relatively good health, you know, or, like, be, like, eight, you know, 90% of himself, if not all the way there, then I think you have, to, you have to orchestrate a trade because if you can get the guy that he was for, you know, almost all up until this point this season, 35-12-6 every night, you have to fortify this team so that way when he comes back, they're ready to go because if he can play at the level he's played at after he has some downtime, if he needs it, uh, it doesn't really matter what seat they're in. They're not going to be a team that anyone wants to play. Austin Krell, tonight, Utah. Give me two for the Sixers. Uh, a lot of injuries tonight. Banged up bunch. We'll see if they can uh, get a win on this road trip. It has been an ugly trip with a lot of bad stuff happening, but uh, we'll see uh, the Jazz are a pretty good team as well. You can hear the game on 97.3 ESPN. Austin, take care, buddy. Thanks, Mike. At NBA Krell, Austin Krell covers the Sixers on 97.3 ESPN.com. I'm Mike Hill. This is the Sports Bash Live, 97.3 ESPN. The Sixers have been fined $75,000 for their role uh, in this whole situation with Joel and B not putting them on the injury report. I mean, it's just been a mess of the way this has been handled. And to add insult to injury, they got fined seventy five thousand, and the Pelicans got fined twenty five thousand for doing the same thing essentially. And they said why? And the answer essentially was because you guys have been doing shisty stuff over the years. That's why you're getting fined more money. <laughs> Sports Bash Live. All right, uh, coming up. Uh, some interesting news surrounding a popular Flyers player. The trade deadline in the NHL is a little couple weeks away, but a pretty interesting name has surfaced in the Flyers trade market. We got that. Also, Andrew Checo has football at four. We got sound of the day. All that and more coming up today on the Sports Bash Live 97.3 ESPN. The Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN and the free mobile app. All right, 349. According to Darren Dreger from TSN in Canada, their hockey insider, uh, the center market relatively thin in the NHL, the trade deadline on the way. The Flyers are taking calls on Scott Lawton, not eager to trade him, according to... Uh, the tweet, Danny Briere, though, is gauging the interest. Flyers have lost, what, five in a row? Got all this uh, injury, some I injury issues, the Carter Hart thing. Could the Flyers be, you know, Briere came out and said last week, 
Like, hey, we're not going to just make trades to try to get into the playoffs this year, right? I mean, he essentially said that. Like, we're not going to just start trading key pieces away, like younger guys to get veteran guys in here to help us get to the playoffs now. But Scott Lawton, would you be surprised if Scott Lawton was moved? I would be surprised because I think that he is a a part of what he is a part of what Tortorella wants to do, Mike. He embodies, but Tortorella has kind of also indicated, like you know, we know we're a little ahead of schedule right now. Like, has. so if we have to do something to help this team long term, we're going to do it. But is trading Lawton really going to get you the kind of return that I don't know? That you would you know, value in a situation like this. Yeah, that I don't know. Are, are you all of a sudden getting some young... Like, well, for instance, though, you never know. I mean, you traded away um, uh, Drew. You got back Owen Tippett, who you just ended up signing an eight-year extension to. Did you think that that's what you were going to get in return? A franchise... I'm not saying a franchise player... But a guy that you want to be in your organization for the long term. He's not the star of stars, although no. you called him stud the other day. Well, but I call him a stud because he is. He, like you, you traded one of the whether people like Giroux or not. He's one of the best players in franchise history. He's arguably in the top ten list of forwards. So, you know, you better get someone of that caliber in return for Giroux. Yeah, but. You, uh, I don't know. I see what you're saying, but I mean, Drew is kind of like Drew is way better than Lawton. I, I understand. I'm not saying you're, but my point is, you never know what what caliber of player you're getting back in return. So I guess my question more is: Is Lawton a long term piece to help this team get to the next level, or is he the guy that can bring back more younger players to pair with the tippets that you got? I think it. I would. I have trouble believing that Lawton's going to get you that much in return. Okay. Unless there's something that you know. Drager, just, and, and again, I'm not comparing him to Giroux. He's just younger. He's having a pretty good year right now. So are you trying to capitalize on that? That maybe you can maximize that because you don't really view him as a long term. Also, is there a team that's desperate? You know, we know in the NHL sometimes teams. You know, they, they get a little antsy and they feel like they have to make a trade. So can can Danny Briere take advantage of some of the kind of like Howie Roseman would, you know, taking advantage of a team that's a little bit, you know, hey, I don't know if I can resign this guy. I, I gotta get something for him. Well, you had a four deal. player trade yesterday, uh was it last night? Oh, the the Calgary deal? Out in Western Canada while you were sleeping? Yeah. Yeah. Elias Lindholm. Lindholm, yeah. Moved uh from uh he went to uh, Vancouver. Right. I knew it was the two Western Canada, yeah, Canadian Vancouver teams. Vancouver and Calgary. Yeah, I knew Calgary, but I, I, I was like, I knew it was two Canadian teams that uh, that made the trade. So you're going to start seeing, like, the teams, you know, but the Flyers right now, I mean, they've lost five in a row. I think the writing's on the wall of who, who they are. But, look, 50 games into the season, they're a playoff team right now. Right. So you have 32 games left. You have to make the decision. What? Do we want to be this year? Do we care if we make the playoffs, or are we looking bigger picture? Here's what Briere said uh, at his press conference last week, which was in part to you know address some of the Carter Hart stuff, but was also to address the trade deadline. Yeah. We're not just going to make trades just to make them, and you know there's going to be a purpose behind it. A lot of it will depend on on the marketplace. 
we, we, we don't know what other teams will be looking for and what they're willing to pay. You know, so I, I can't really say one way or the other at this point. Again, just don't expect us to go out and spend prime assets, you know, trying to make a run. That's the one there. Don't expect us to make a move just to make a move to try to get to the playoffs. Right, we're not year. just going to trade these assets because we can. We're going to trade them because there has to be something, and there may be. You know, the the, the NHL trade deadline is much later than the NBA. Yeah, next you're going to be in Vegas during the NBA trade. It happened last week. year. Yeah, I was in Vegas last year because I remember the Lakers making all the trades. Right, so you think about. NHL, that's weeks later. So you got time before the Flyers have to make a hard decision. 32 games left for the Fly Boys. And, of course, Kevin Durso has more at 973ESPN.com. Flyers right now, by the way, their 56 points has them in third place in the Metro. But if they were to fall out of that, their 56 points are not enough to be a wild card team. They're two points behind Toronto and Detroit, who both have 58 points. But they are four points ahead of the Islanders, so they would be the next wild card team. But keep in mind, their 56 points is also four points ahead of the Islanders for the third spot in the Metro. So right now, 32 games left. They got a pretty good shot here. More Sports Bash on the way. Football at four. And Drew DeCecco, it's Senior Bowl week. Who are the stars that are shining brightest to him? Jersey 97.3 ESPN presents the Sports Bash with Mike Gill. It's time for Football at Four with Andrew DeCecco, powered by the Inside the Birds podcast. We're never satisfied. That hunger for more. That hunger for more. I have it. Everyone has it. Now live from inside the Matt Blatt Kia Studios, this is Football at Four. Yeah, Football at Four, powered by the Inside the Birds podcast, brought to you by Bet365. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary. Bet365. Andrew DeCecco is here. He's got a lot happening over at InsideTheBirds.com. We'll talk about what prospects are standing out that he's watching at the Senior Bowl for the Eagles. And what about this team in Philadelphia? They've now hired their entire staff. You know, Andrew, I was joking earlier, the Eagles have the longest tenured full staff in the entire division uh, with what's going on right now. They, they have their coordinators and coach all together longer than any team in the NFC East. How about that? So uh, you say over at InsideTheBirds.com that despite – what happened at the end of the year and all the coaching changes here. You like uh, this team to bounce back here. So let's get into some of those things there. But first, what did you think of Kellen Moore uh, coming to Philadelphia as the coordinator? Yeah, that's a really interesting hire. Obviously, when you make this decision, the first thing that comes to mind is how can we get Jalen Hurst back to MVP former through the Eagles? And I think Kellen Moore checks off a lot of boxes and being the former quarterback, someone who – is going to presumably run a quarterback-friendly offense. I think there's a lot of elements that he's going to be able to accentuate what Jalen Hurst does well. And when you look at his track record, obviously he gets there, there, there's sort of a blemish on on Kellen Moore as to he's pass-heavy. There's the, the running game is going to take a hit. Well, three out of his five years as being a coordinator, he's had an offense that that's yielded a thousand-yard rusher last season. Austin Eckler wasn't very effective, but. I think that you, there's going to that you could see some balance here in Philadelphia. You might see some looks under center with Jalen Hurts, which is something we have not seen. And you also are going to see probably a lot of eleven personnel, a ton of pre-snap motion. 
So I'm interested to see what kind of wrinkles he implements because uh, there's a, he has a lot to work with here. Yeah, is this an indication to you that they're all, you know, I don't want to say all in. I think they gave the money to Hertz, so obviously, but uh, that this will be a Hertz-centric offense? Oh, absolutely, and, and rightfully so. When you invest in a player like Jalen Hurts, you don't pay him more to do less. And I think last season he was hamstrung quite a bit in, in terms of not being able to necessarily – showcase what he's able to fully do and what the offense for that matters was able to really do. I thought that they were sort of compressed and in in many regards. And I think now adding a a mind like Kellen Moore and those fresh ideas, which is a term we've heard six or seven times in that season ending press conference, now you're going to see a little bit more of a modernized innovative NFL offense. Talk with Andrew DeCecco, Football 4 for the Inside the Birds podcast. And if you're um, Kellen Moore, I, I, I've been kind of trying to pick people's brains on this. If you're, I mean, if you're a player in this offense, who is Kellen Moore most excited to, to utilize? Jalen Hurts. <laughs> I, I think just the, uh, the dual threat ability. There's some untapped potential to Jalen and, and knowing that you can have sort of your fingerprints on guiding him back to prominence if you're Kellen Moore that has to be exciting especially with him wanting to be a head coach in this league if you're able to bring him back to the level he was playing in 2022 well that's going to look really good on your resume so I have to think that given all those things that are sort of baked into him coming to Philadelphia Jalen Hurts has to be at the top all right uh, you got A.J. Brown you got Smith they've been doing the rounds I know uh, the murmurs about A.J. Brown I don't know where they would be coming from because if I'm Kellen Moore I'm saying there's no way you're trading that guy for me he's got to be excited about what his passing game uh, should look like with this group of guys right I mean this is a this was an attractive offense to step into for a for a coordinator 100 percent and one thing I will say is you're going to see a lot more of ball distribution, whereas last season the offense ran primarily through three players, that being A.J. Brown, Devontae Smith, and Dallas Goddard. Well, you're going to see them utilize the third receiver a lot more than the Eagles did last year. You're going to see them utilize the middle of the field a lot more than the Eagles did last year. But you're also going to see different guys get involved. Also, running the running backs catching the ball in the backfield, which was absent from the offense a season ago. I'm, I'm really intrigued as to what he's able to do in terms of just adding optionality and, and opening up the full gamut of plays to, uh, for Jalen Hurst to sort of uh, have at his disposal. Yeah, this is uh, an offense that, uh, I don't know, we heard uh, Nick Sirianni at the end of the year, you know, it's not my offense, it's not the new coordinator's offense, it's going to be our offense. So does an amalgamation of uh, Nick Sirianni's offense and Kellen Moore, I mean, is is that going to be something that, uh, that that's going to pop? Yeah, I mean, there's going to be certain elements to Nick Sirianni's offense that are going to remain. Obviously, to revamp an entire offense in one offseason and have everybody on board and, and expect to fully execute that vision isn't necessarily, uh, you know, that, that that's not exactly easy to to sort of be able to digest, I would say, in, in the coming months. So you're going to see certain elements like the tush push, and there's certain there's certain things that I thought that the offense did well. Uh, I would say they were few and far between just given the results, but there there were some there. But you're also going to see, I would assume, a heavy hand in, in Kellen Moore. You didn't bring him in here to sort of regurgitate a lot of the plays from last season. He's going to have full autonomy of the offense by all accounts, and in, in doing so, I think you're going to see a refreshed and reinvigorated offense, and they're going to be able to maximize the personnel that they have. Um, the perception that, 
Kellen Moore doesn't run the ball or he's not going to run the ball all that much, what would you say the role of the run game will be here? Yeah, yeah, I'm not, I'm not a fan of that. I think that's sort of a misconception because, like I, like I alluded to, there, there, there's been three 1,000 yard rushers on his resume on offenses in which he's presided over, and look, the Eagles have outside of Kenny Gainwell, they have some work to do in, in restructuring the running back landscape. But I do think that you're going to see a running back much like an Austin Eckler type, and like they had, in, like he had in Dallas, Tony Pollard, someone that can catch the football and be a little bit more dynamic in space and especially, um, you know, on outside runs, which obviously DeAndre Swift would be really, uh, really adept at, at fitting, fitting into this offense. But it just it comes down to uh, financially, are the Eagles willing to invest in DeAndre Swift? But I would imagine you're going to see a, a dual threat type of running back. But I would also would expect to see someone sort of like a, with an Ezekiel Elliott role that can be a between-the-tackles bruiser that's going to pick up those tough yards. Will they be running the ball? Are they suddenly going to be, you know, the, the Pittsburgh Steelers under Jerome Bettis or anything like that? No, I certainly don't envision that. But I think it'll be a lot more balanced than what some may than what some are depicting once he was hired. What's uh, what is your thought? Is the is the RPO gone? I mean, is that something that's still around? The, the you know the thing that the one thing to me, Andrew, that worked so well two years ago was that RPO because of the decision making that Jalen Hurts brought to it, and last year not the same. So is that still an element of this offense? Oh, for sure, for sure. I think that's going to stay. And I also sort of sort of view it as Kellen Moore talking to you, talking to his quarterback. Hey, what, what do you what do you want me to keep in? Like, what are you really comfortable with running? They're going to cater to Jalen Hurts. They've invested in him, and I think it, it for for Kellen Moore to get off on the right foot with his quarterback. I think it, it certainly uh, can sort of help that relationship. Listening to him and seeing what you would like call like what you would like to stay into the offense and what you would like to take out. And the RPO is one of the things I would assume that Jalen Hurts would, would have near the top of the list. Yeah, all right. Uh, good stuff on the offensive side of the ball. Vic Fangio, as we know, is on the defensive side of the ball. And as you wrote over at InsideTheBirds.com, you know, um, this is a defense that kind of relies in the linebacking spot, um, the secondary. And, and these are areas where I would imagine prioritizing safety and linebacker is going to have to be something in at least free agency, if not the draft, year, they're going to have to get an overhaul there. Oh, absolutely! Look, when when Vic Fangio came over here, I, I mean, right, right to me, it, it spoke to he he wouldn't agree to do that if the Eagles remained with that philosophical approach that linebackers and safeties don't matter. That you can sort of get bargain players to fulfill those roles and expect you know status, you know expect the defense to continue on. I think that he's going to have. A lot of demands, and they're going to have to satisfy his demands. Being, you know, he has that level of, of sustained success and establishment in this league, and the safety position is even more crucial than the linebacking position in his defense. In that they're almost like like a like a key chess player, and they they're asked to do a lot pre-snap, and there's you have to be really smart. So I think that when you look at the safety room right now, Kevin Byers can be a free agent, but they 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 need to add a smart veteran that's versatile. And I think that free agency provides a lot of options. Look at Antoine Winfield, Xavier McKinney, Darnell Savage. There's a couple of Miami Dolphins safeties that are free agents that are, are adept in Vic Vangio's defense and can help sort of uh, get everybody on the same page there. But um, there's also a lot of players in the draft, and there's a couple uh, of safeties that I really like in the second round. The Eagles have two second-round picks mm. that, they, that they could be able to address that. 
And linebacker, there's a couple of good free agent options, but I also think that when you look at Jeremiah Trotter Jr., you look at um, there, there's uh, Edgerin Cooper from Texas A&M in the second round. There's Peyton Wilson from NC State, who I really like, super athletic, good length, that are going to be available in the second round. So I think they're going to have to pardon their typical philosophical approach to appease Vic Vangio and be able to be able to allow him to execute his defense in his vision. All right, you wrote about N'Kobe Dean. Obviously, uh, Howie Roseman talked about him. He kind of singled him out. You know, oh, this perception that we don't value linebacker. We had a guy, N'Kobe Dean, he got hurt. If Vic Fangio sat down in the office and Roseman said, hey, I got you, N'Kobe Dean, is Vic Fangio excited about that? He's going to say N'Kobe Dean and, you know, you, you, and they're going to say, <laughs> well, and then Van Sumeren. He's going to say, eh, that's not good enough. That's not what I signed up for. Uh, look, when, when you're Vic Vangio and you're coming in, and, and Nick Sirianni even alluded to this in his season-ending press conference, the defense is going to uh, – the defensive coordinator is going to be able to preside over that with full autonomy. And certainly that, that means that Vic Vangio is going to have a lot of say. And you don't agree to come here if, if you're looking at shortcomings in personnel and you're sort of dealing what you look at what the Eagles had to work with last season. That's simply not good enough. So you're going to have to – you're going to say Nicobe Dean and who? Because I think right now to go into the offseason banking on Nicobe Dean staying healthy or being able to be the player that they envisioned when they drafted him in the third round out of Georgia without a whole lot of promise. I mean, he looked okay, but certainly not uh, – you don't want to just hand him a, a starting role. I think that would be malpractice. You have to add a veteran in free agency, and you have to draft somebody in the, in the second round or the third round this year, prioritize the position – and, and stop looking, you know, you got to stop banking on the hope that you're going to land a uh, bargain basement free agent deal and, and get somebody that can be a, a bona fide playmaker at that second level. And I think this year is where you're going to see a little bit of a change. All right. Uh, interesting stuff on, of course, the field there. Mobile, Alabama, Senior Bowl. Uh, who are a couple prospects uh, that you're watching that could be good fits here? You mentioned it. The Eagles have three picks in the top 55 this year so they can really stockpile some some talent really uh you know as you kind of wrote about you can get bounced back quickly if you add three players that can help you out right off the bat yeah Quinion Mitchell cornerback out of Toledo right now I have him going right around where the Eagles will be picking in the first round he's done or uh, he's been one of the standouts in Mobile as I understand it. so his stock is elevating but there's, we have a long way to go. And I think that when you look at, he has that stigma of playing in the MAC, and he had to check off a lot of boxes going against higher caliber competition at the Senior Bowl. And, and he stood tall. He's passed those tests with flying colors. There's a lot to like there. He has prototypical size, tough, competitive, physical. That's what the Eagles need right now. They don't have a whole lot there at the cornerback position outside of Keeley Ringo that you can really bank on for future. Uh, looking at it, you know, future building blocks. So I think he would be an enticing option there. In the second round, there's a safety I really like out of Utah named Cole Bishop. A uh, very versatile player. We talked about the need to add a smart, versatile back-end player in the secondary, particularly at the safety spot for Vic Vangio, and he would be someone who would fit that bill. Even later down the line, we mentioned that Kellen Moore needing a uh, utilizing the third receiver. Well, there's uh, Luke McCaffrey, brother of 49ers running back Christian McCaffrey, who's 6'2", 200 pounds, really good working the middle of the field, good body control, good catch radius, and, and he has really soft hands. So when you look at 
what you need there. And by the way, he he can push the ball vertically a little bit. He does have some speed. I think that's exactly what the Eagles need to complement what. All right, we lost uh, Andrew there. He just absolutely blanked out there. He was uh, he was in the zone, man. He was in the zone, giving us some uh, players to uh, kind of watch. Uh, Mitchell's the one guy from Toledo. You're going to hear a lot of him. I've been already, you know, I'm a big mock draft fan, and I've seen Mitchell um, mock to the Eagles and a couple of them. Luke McCaffrey, the wide receiver from Rice, as he mentioned, is um, is McCaffrey's brother, Christian McCaffrey. Um, you know, when you have that lineage, people are going to be excited about that. Uh, here are a couple of the other names that he'll be throwing our way. If we can grab him back, is uh, he's got five prospects that he's looking at as the Senior Bowls this weekend. By the way, speaking of a prospect at the Senior Bowl, Cedar Creek's Max Melton out there ran one of the best times, if not the best time, in the entire. Um, it's not the combine yet, but it's at the um, Senior Bowl down there. So. Second fastest time, Josh is telling me. All right, uh, we lost you there for a second. You were, I said, you were in the zone, man. You were in that draft zone. I love it. And then you just, yeah, man. So, uh, Luke McCaffrey fits the bill. As I don't know that the Eagles are going to invest heavily or prioritize the wide receiver position early in the draft, given their defensive needs. But there is going to be some good guys that they can get in the third round. Or I'm sorry, day three. Even some low-cost free agent ones that aren't going to be cost prohibitive. But Luke McCaffrey, look at the bloodline there and, and his body type. And I think that that's the sort of player that I can see Kellen Moore maximizing and the Eagles really need to sort of balance out the passing attack. Well, and that's one thing I think if you were to say, hey, you're interviewing for this job. What's one thing that you would like us to get? And it's, hey, you, you got to get a third receiver. Like the Watkins thing, Zacchaeus didn't work out. You've got to upgrade Julio. that third. Julio Jones, obviously, uh, who's a free agent and, and will probably, you know, I would imagine retires. But that position has just not worked out. I would think that they finally say, listen, we've got to upgrade at that spot. Yeah, third receiver and also a number two tight end, right? I mean, Grant Calcaterra, by all accounts, is supposed to be that pass-catching tight end. But you really haven't seen him take that next step now two years into his career. I think if the Eagles have an option and they're able to add another big-bodied, enticing, athletic tight end to, to sort of uh, put unique stresses on defenses to complement Dallas Goddard and aid Jalen Hurts in, in being able to survey the middle of the field, they're going to do that as well. I mean, there's a, this team does have a lot of needs, but – I think that they have the resources in which to do it. It's not going to be – you're not going to be able to fix the team in one foul swoop, but they're, they're certain that they're in position where they can address a lot of crucial needs. Well, and it's, it's interesting because, you know, this is a team that obviously had a disappointing finish, and this is right around the time – in fact, I think it's the same season in which the Eagles took Goddard to replace Ertz, and you just mentioned tight end. You would think the Eagles are – they like to look big picture and say, hey, we've got to get the next guy uh, at that position. They might not have – the ability to to do stuff like that in this draft because they need more impactful help now. Yeah, that's the problem. I mean, even if a guy like Brock Bowers were to tumble down the first round, I still don't think, I mean, as enticing as that would be to trade up and and grab somebody like that, is it a difference maker and and a 10 to 12 year starter and gives you, uh, you know, Dallas Goddard can eventually pass the baton to Brock Bowers. I mean, they, they just have so many other needs that it would just be, irresponsible almost to, to, to take a tight end that high. I really think that in order for Vic Vangio, in order to satisfy his demands, you need to start on defense and start retooling the secondary, That really the back seven. They, they really need to start making some wholesale changes there. 
Eagles, of course, uh, three picks, as we said, in the top 55. They've got a bunch of compensatory picks as well. I think they have four compensatory picks, a third and, what, three-fifths coming their way. So a lot. And, by the way, they have a lot of free agents on the way out the door that they are going to have to replace. They've got a lot of snaps this year. You talk about uh, Cunningham, Shaq Leonard, Nick Morrow played almost every snap at linebacker outside of what uh, you got from Dean earlier and then a few here from, you know, Ben Van Sumerans of the world. But your whole linebacking core are free agents, so you got to have to figure that out. You've got uh, the slot corner, I would imagine, is uh, going to be new this year. You're probably going to have at least one, if not two. New- are you going into next year with Blankenship as a starter? <laughs> Uh, you know, on your linebacker point, I mean, yeah, I mean, Ben Van Sumeren played 50 snaps, the Kobe Dean played 182, and outside of that, there's the great unknown. And as far as the safety position, I I don't think you can go into the season with Reed Blankenship penciling him in as a starter. I think Reed has always been best equipped to be a number three safety, and I and he can be a functional piece and still have a role. But I think last season you started to see, particularly in the second half of last season, he was exploited a little bit. You saw his limitations. And to go into this season again with him back there, I mean, for one, I don't think Vic Vangio is going to say that that's good enough. But I just think that from, you know, from the Eagles standpoint, yeah, you, you, I mean, you, you saw it. It's out there. You know, you can't go into the season with him as a starter. Yeah, I, I agree on that one as well. All right. Uh, by the way, one guy I'm interested uh, in seeing this year, Milton Williams. I want to see what uh, Fangio gets from Milton Williams because I don't know. Where are you on Fletcher Cox? Is he back or is he is he done? Uh, I, he he may be done. I, I don't think he's back in Philadelphia one way or the other. I mean, he he could go on a one year deal to a to a team. You know, maybe maybe to go play for Jim Schwartz, or it wouldn't surprise me if he retired. All right, there you go. We'll keep our eyes on that. Andrew DeCecco, Football at Four from the Inside the Birds podcast, and it's draft season, and we're all over it here on the Sports Best. Thanks, buddy. You bet, man. Talk soon. Andrew DeCecco, Football at Four from the Inside the Birds podcast here on the Sports Bash Live 97.3 ESPN, the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. I want to tell you about my friends at Progressive Fence and Railing. They're your secret weapon. Oh, boy, we've got a beautiful day out there. Doesn't it make you think about, like, spring and summer today? It's so nice out. Whether it's a adorable fence, railing, stylish deck, beautiful awning, serene gazebo, Check them out. Experience the top quality, impeccable craftsmanship that they provide. And then the finance options that can fit your budget. You can get a free estimate. Hey, you know what? I'm interested in a 24 by 24 deck. Whatever you want to do. Fill the backyard. Get a little small guy. Get a big one. Put it in. They got finance options that fit your budget. You can do it now at ProgressiveFenceAndRail.com. Got sound of the day coming up. Also, we've got uh, thoughts on spring training almost here. I saw an interesting article that made me think spring training today. That's why I brought it up twice. And some baseball rules that guy that I came across. One made me laugh. I actually agree with this possible rule change. So we'll talk about that later on tonight as well. Sports Bash 97.3 ESPN. It's Mike Gill. And I am the voice. Of the voiceless. On 97.3 ESPN and the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. All right, 429, Thursday afternoon, Sports Bash 97.3 ESPN. We've got uh, Sound of the Day. We've got um, Sixers tonight, 97.3 ESPN, 10 o'clock. You've been staying up late for these uh, Sixer games? Yep. For better or for worse. Yeah, 10... Uh, 
10 o'clock's rough. Yeah, it is. 12.30 the other night, that game got over, like, right around 12.30. Like, if these games were at 9 instead of 10, I think I'd be way better off. Big difference. Huge difference. 9 o'clock's great time. I can hand That's the cutoff. 9. Give me the 9. You're done at 11.30. I go to bed, like, right around that time. I'm, like, at 11 or 15-er. Even if it's done at 12, at least you still are getting to bed at a time that at least you can rationalize. Yeah, that crossover is rough. Yeah, once you get past midnight, now you're starting to get in the range of, like, dude, I want to go to bed. Yeah. I want to sleep. Especially the other night. It was just awkward to watch the bead, like, oh, run. Horrible. I'll try tonight. I don't know if I'm going to make it. I've got this, uh, man, I, I must have, like, an ingrown toenail or something. I've never had this before, but it is, uh, I, I'm pretty high tolerance of pain. I almost went down to my knees last night. I was in such pain. Well, if you wanted to get a little quick laugh about this. Because you always joke about all the injuries I've had. I've had ingrown toenails. I can even picture you having those. Yeah, multiple. This uh, is uh, a constant problem. I've never had this happen before. This is the first time ever. And le- yesterday, just to peel back the curtain a little bit, about 5 o'clock during the show, I'm in the middle of a sentence, and I had a pain that almost knocked me out of my seat. And I was like, oh, my gosh. And I never felt it before. And then last night... It felt like my toe had a heartbeat. Yes. Yeah, so, is that is so? Am, am, yeah. Is my diagnosis accurate here? Because I don't know that that's the case. Because I've never had it. I just did some, you know, Google searching. Well, I mean, I would you you should probably check your own toe to see where how the nail is growing. Uh, you you can see and feel it. Well, I should. I said like I. You it's showed, hard. You showed your girlfriend. Well, I said like, <laughs> am I missing something here? I don't see anything. She's I don't, I don't really see anything. So I oh man, it was br- last night was rough. It was rough. I mean, for me, I know when I had an ingrown toenail, it was literally there. There is there's a way to get rid of it the right way, and there's a wrong way to get rid of it. And I learned both ways. <laughs> so, does anybody have a home remedy? Uh, the home remedy is you try to do it yourself. I know. My mother sent me like these pliers looking thing. You need to pull. I'm like, this isn't something that looks appealing. <laughs> I mean, I know this conversation probably doesn't sound appealing, but I know that it's relatable. Well, like, it's, I've talked to, yeah. like, four different people today, and every single person I talk to, like, I had that. I'm like, I'm 47 years old. I've never had this happen. It hurts like hell. Now, like, in the past, when you hear, like, an NFL player has turf, turf toe, toe or, like, and you're like, ah, come on. Now, I will say this. It doesn't actually hurt to walk. It just hurts just randomly because it throbs. Oh, it's like pulsating and throbbing and it's like burning. I'm like, what is going on down? I'm like, but it doesn't hurt like to put weight on it. Right. Turf toe hurts to put weight on because the turf toe is not actually the nail area. It's the area under the toe where it's like the connection between the foot and the toe. Oh, man. I, I... It was rough, man. I will say I was in some... And today, it was like I woke up, like, so all I'm thinking is, how am I going to fall asleep with this? It did subside to where it just felt very tender. Okay. It wasn't throbbing or pulsating. So it subsided enough for you to at least try to get some sleep. I got to sleep, yes. But then I woke up this morning, and, like, as soon as I got out of bed, it wasn't, like, pulsating or throbbing, like, but, like, it's just enough to annoy. And, like, right now... It feels like it's it's getting back to that point. Now, I gave you ibuprofen earlier. Did that help at all? I don't know. I took some last night. 
I thought it got worse, actually. Oh, my goodness. Now, the one thing that I read was, like, you know, soak your foot. So I had my foot in, like... <laughs> yeah, yeah, put an Epsom salt. I did do that. You got to do, do the hot water with the Epsom salt. And then <laughs> as soon as you get the foot out, you try to see if you can pry the ingrown nail out yourself. Oh, jeez. If you can't get it out yourself, then you got to go to the doctor. Oof. Yeah, I don't know if I'm 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 ready for all that. Now, I mean, see, for me, I went through this when I was a teenager in my early twenties. So I kind of like trial and error. This got it right, and as long as I, you know, as long as I pay attention to how long my nails are growing, I'm fine. <laughs> well, this has never happened to me before, and the th- I've told I've told four people like what happened, and they're all like, "Oh yeah, I've had that," and it's like they go through this a lot. Yeah, once you get it once, there's a chance to get it to happen again. Jeez, you just I am have to out make, on that. You just have to make sure that when the nail grows back, you like you got, you got to clip it. You got to maintain it. You know, you can't you can't let it just go. Well, I must have done a pretty good job up to this point in my life. Yeah, whatever you were, or you know what, it might just been a freak accident. You know, there there can be weird. Like you might you might have cut your nail a certain way and decided to grow in an odd direction. Okay. Well, it's hurt. I'm I'm playing injured today. That's what happened to me. I was the idiot who didn't cut my nail properly. It grew the wrong direction. Yeah, remember and when uh, I used to watch um, like my feet are killing me. Yeah, you said you didn't cut it like in the right. Like these people didn't cut theirs at all. See, that's ridiculous. Yeah. That that's that's when you're at a level of poor hygiene that I just can't rock with. <laughs> like you got to have a certain level of hygiene with every every element of your body. The um. One of the things, the home remedies things that I read was to take dental floss and try to, like, put the dental floss under the nail to try to lift it. I mean, that could work if you get the edge. Like, you got you to find the edge where the, the ingrown is cutting into you. Yeah. That's what happens. The nail is literally cutting into your toe <clears throat> as it grows. That's why it hurts. Yeah, well, I'm hurting right now. Now is the time that it's starting to be very painful. So what do you got for me? Well, let's talk about somebody else's hurting, which is Joel Embiid. We played the first part where Kendrick Perkins suggested that maybe Embiid should sit out the rest of the year. Well, Perkins went on to explain on uh, NBA Today that he is really concerned about Embiid's knee injury. You want him to have an opportunity to heal up and then you go into next season, you re-sign Tyrese Maxey, you search the market because you got so much cap space, and now you get a healthier Joel Embiid for the long haul. For Ramona to say it hurt, for he couldn't even jump before this injury, like, that is a major concern. Mm. Yeah, when I heard this whole bite this morning and him basically say he thinks that Embiid should sit the rest of the season out. And Wilbon was like, you mean the regular season? He's like, no, the whole season. Yeah. What does he know that's not out there yet? And as Austin Krell said earlier when he was on, why haven't the results of the MRI been released? I mean, it's almost 5 o'clock on game day. Now, I know he is not with the team. Right. He He flew back to Philadelphia and Woj said last night, around 6 o'clock is when the Rose report dropped, he said that the Sixers are reevaluating him for the next 24 hours. So I'm assuming 24 hours from 6 o'clock last night means we might not know something until later tonight. I'm wondering now, is the game a local broadcast or is it a national broadcast? Let me double check that. Good question. I haven't checked the TV stuff yet. 
So I would imagine that during the broadcast tonight that it would be, hey, MRI on Joel Embiid, and here's the results. They TNT might, broadcast. I thought it was a national broadcast, right? That's why I was asking that question because I did think it was, but I, you know, they have played a lot of national broadcasts here recently. Yeah, and Joel Embiid hasn't been on any of them. You know what? I think the game was originally a nine o'clock game, and it got moved to ten because, because of, of the, TNT. Yeah, I think. This was a clerical error that I made on our uh, big board of schedule in here. And Danny Ryan actually caught it. He said, you have the game listed on the schedule as a 9 o'clock game. It's actually 10. I wouldn't be surprised if it was scheduled for 9 and then they moved to the 10 because, because remember, Utah is not Pacific time. That's mountain time. Mm -hmm. So they're two hours, not three hours. So basically what they did was is they made it a West Coast time for the TNT well, broadcast. exactly. They need a TNT. Glenn from Epsecon says, just go to the doctor. He will take care of it. It will only get worse. Handle it. So Glenn is saying, suck it up and go to the doctor. He's definitive. Get to the doctor. That's Rich from the Crest says, right now. it's a slow sports day. I'm sorry, Rich. Did, did I miss some big event that I'm, that I'm not discussing? Yeah, we spent the first hour of the show talking about Dan Quinn and the NFC East. You must have missed that, Rich. Uh, longer too, an hour and a half. I, I don't know, but if it was, if it's a fast sports day, is it a action packed sports day? Is it a loaded sports day? Like, I, I like, could, I could care less what Jim Harbaugh just said on this press conference. Well, my point is, I like Rich from the Crest texting in with wow, slow sports day, but it's not like he said, you guys missed this story. <laughs> right. Like, come on, dude. What, what would you be talking about right now, Rich? Seriously. I mean, we don't even have the Flyers playing right now. And we actually talked about the Flyers in the last hour. We did, actually. So, so far today, we have hit on the Eagles, Sixers, Flyers, NFL. Uh, I threw a little baseball back there, and yep. I'm going to do baseball later. I'm sorry, Rich. I was in some intense pain at that moment, and I felt that that usurped any of the action-packed sports events that happened on this day in February. <laughs> So back to Joel Embiid's knee. I, I want to ask you, Mike, are you as concerned as Perkins is about this issue where Embiid had trouble even jumping with this past knee? Because remember, Nick Nurse said the new knee injury is not related to the old, the old knee injury. But I like how this injury talk is acceptable sports. Right. But mine, <laughs> not acceptable. Although Joey D. and Ventner says great ingrown nail talk. He believes that if I go to urgent care, it will get take care uh, taken care of quickly. No, I didn't know urgent care took care of those kind of things. That's an interesting anecdote from Joey D. See, when I was younger, I always had to go to the foot doctor. Well, the urgent care didn't exist back then. That's true. Yeah, I, I am old enough to live in the world before the Internet. So Rich in the Crest would like to hear about Joel Embiid's injury, not mine. All right, so tell me. What I don't have the answer to Joel Embiid's injury. There's your problem, Rich. We haven't got it yet. <laughs> We've been waiting. That's the action-packed sporting event that we are kind of waiting on. What will the results of his MRI? And since I don't have his MRI right. results, I'm going to tell you I'm in pain. <laughs> but back to my Like if I was somebody down the hall right now, I would say, you know what? You're in pain. You should go home. You would do that. <laughs> I would. <laughs> Look, there's no reason that I should be gutting this out right now. If you only knew how I personally felt with this uh, situation, I am dying right now. Uh, go ahead. What else you got? Let yeah, me try. I'm trying to keep my mind off. I'm, of I'm going to say, I, I wanted to finish the question about what Perkins was saying, which is, 
So if Joel B with the previous knee injury had trouble jumping, mm-hmm. and now he's got a new knee injury, are you as concerned as Perkins is about this knee? Yeah. Yes, I am. Because I watched him play the other night. He was not himself. Then he appeared to injure it more. Now they're saying it's not related. So was the old one not fully healed? Because it wasn't. He, he, you know, you can't tell me, oh, he was 100% out there. He was not. Fine. He talked himself into playing, but he wasn't 100%. And now you either added to that injury or now have an unrelated one, which could be worse than the one that you originally had that you hoped was healing. Because maybe you would not be in this situation if you were 100% healthy or at least closer to healthy than not. Well, I mean, I would say, even if he was 100% healthy and the play that happened there, the guy who fell on his knee. Kaminga. Kaminga would have been. It still would have hurt, but maybe not as extremely. Like maybe, like it's, it's like with anything in life. If something is not all, like, for example, Mike, let's say you go and get this ingrown toenail taken out, right? Let's, let's swing it back to you. Well, I'd be back to 100% tomorrow. No, it'll take you a couple days. Like It'll still hurt? It, it won't be as intense. It'll be a different type of, like, you know, tenderness. But, like, let's say a week from now, right? Taped up? Yeah, you got to get some uh, gauze on that thing. You're going to need some gauze, a little medical tape on it, all right? And let's say you're starting to be like, man, Josh, you know, I'm about four days to remove this thing, and I feel way better. And then suddenly somebody steps on your foot in the hallway. You are going to be like, ah! You're going to be screaming. Not because of the ingrown toenail anymore, but because somebody... Touch yeah, something that was already tender. So anytime somebody steps on your foot. But now it's going to be worse. And maybe that's what happened in Embiid on Thursday night. Maybe if his knee wasn't already in a compromised condition, it wouldn't have been so painful that he's sw- flailing his arms in the air on the ground. Well, that is a pretty – and I will say this about Kendrick Perkins, his take. He did say on Saturday that Joel Embiid needs to get his butt out on the court. He did. So <laughs> – I mean, it could be just a hot take take that he should be shut down for the rest of the year. I mean, to me, when I heard that, I was like, listen, if Joel Embiid can play, I don't care if he can only play the last 10 games of the year. He plays in the last 10 games of the year. You don't just say, well, we're going to shut him down and then live to fight another day next year. No, 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 no. See, I don't like the whole idea of let's bail on the season for the offseason. Like, what if this is your best shot at winning a championship? What if you go to the deadline, you get someone of significance, you go into the postseason, then Embiid is healthier, and you make a run? What if this is the year to make a run? Why would you bail on the opportunity to make that run? Can't do it. Not in good conscience. I certainly if, he, if, if he was 100% healthy and you said, well, we made the decision already, you're not playing, that's a poor decision. That's like, I, I, this bothers me about sports in general too, like professional sports. Um, you're on load management tonight, so you're just not playing. Well, why can't I play 15 minutes? You want to load manage me? At least let me play 15 minutes. Like, use me in the last 10 minutes of the game. Right. Like, all right, you don't want me to play all 35 minutes? Then just manage my minutes. Just let me play less. Like I didn't. Like we never had to get to the point where you just sat the whole game out. Like yeah. that was unnecessary. What and happened to minute restrictions? Remember that? The minute restriction thing is yeah, it's frustrating as well. But like if you say, look, we're, instead of just sitting, we're load managing your okay, you're only going to play twenty minutes tonight. That's it. 
No more than 20. That's it. Don't argue with me. You're playing 20. We want you to play the last 10 minutes of the game. So sit on the bench, enjoy the night off, and then give me your best 10 minutes you got. There should have been no reason why Embiid played the second half on Tuesday night. This all could have been avoided. They could have just. I agree Embiid. with that. He, the eye test said he didn't need to be out there. You could have just told Embiid, "Look, you're having a rough day. I, I feel for you, man." Yeah. You know it, that Nick, if Nick Nurse cared about Joel Embiid as much as he says he was, he should have just gone and be like, "Joel." Well, I don't want to accuse you, but... Nick Nurse of not caring about him, but I do think he handled it poorly. I mean, I don't know how he handled it at all. Well, the whole team handled it. Yeah, the, the whole thing was You bumbled. You brought the point up yesterday about how how does everybody in the organization, not one person, stand up and be like, hey, guys, do you all look right? Yeah. Um, all right, you got anything else? Uh, yeah, I, I wanted to play you the uh, second half of what Danny Briere said the other day because we talked about the Flyers in the first hour. Uh, you know, There were two parts where Briere talked about. The first part was his general saying, look, we're not going to make a trade to make a trade. He expounded upon the Flyers and their perspective on trading their their elite assets, you know, first round picks, top prospects, etc. This is the Flyers general manager the other day. I, I won't be trading prime assets just to make a run. I'm not going to trade, you know, first, second round picks. You know, you could come back at me and say, well, you traded, you know, Cutter Gauthier. I, I, I'm not going to do another one of those trades. I don't have anything planned that way. That was a different situation, you know, and, and we felt we were acquiring a great player in return in, in Drysdale. So if there's a hockey trade that we feel makes us better down the road, but we're not going to trade assets just to make a, a playoff run. Yeah, the, the Cutter Gauthier thing was this guy said he didn't want to be here. Right. And therefore... We made a move. And by the way, Drysdale has already made a positive impact since he got you here. You like Drysdale. He's played well. I, I think he has shown that he was worth the trade because, you know, as Durso has you know, written about at 97.3ESG.com, he is a guy who, you know, clearly plays a role on this team that they needed. I kind of missed the Flyers. I was getting into them. Like those Saturday afternoon, they gotta play like Saturday afternoons a lot. Those were fun. I love the, the, the matinee game on a Saturday. You gotta give me more of those. Well, once football ends too, you gotta take advantage of the Sunday at one. Yep. Flyers are off till Tuesday night. Uh, we'll play the Panthers. Any interest in the NHL All Star Weekend? None. None. You're out. Zero. You're not gonna watch the draft tonight. Nope. Skills competition. I haven't watched any of the All-Star anything. Even baseball. Like, I'm not into the baseball All-Star game anymore either. But the hockey All-Star game, nothing. Zero. NBA All-Star. Well, I watch the NBA All-Star game every night. Nobody plays any defense. And it scores like 143, 138. All right. uh, Sports Bash 97.3 ESPN. It's this with Mike Gill. Keeping the fans entertained and happy. On 97.3 ESPN and the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. All right, Sports Bash 97.3 ESPN brought to you this hour by Broadly's Plumbing, Heating, Air Conditioning. Broadly, your trusted source for heating and plumbing service installation for generations. Call them at 609-390-3907. Online at broadleys.net. We got uh, a lot more to go. Um... Philly spring training, by the way, two weeks away. Pitchers and catchers report they'll be in Clearwater on the 14th. It's a Valentine's Day. Looking forward to that. 
Great gift for everybody that has a uh, significant other. Baseball back. Oh, the gift for people who don't have a significant other. Yeah. 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 Now, spring training, games start, I think it's like February 26th. It's early. I mean, they start playing games in February. Yeah, they start playing the end of February. I know some of those games because like college teams, though. Yeah, like one of them might get there. But they do have like regular games that start. They actually end. The last game this year in Clearwater, I will be there. Monday, March 25th. Nice. It's the last Grapefruit League game of the season. You're ready to catch it. And I will be there. And the opening day is Thursday. That Thursday. Wow, so basically three days gone. The 28th. They play Atlanta in Philly. It's going to be freezing. <laughs> Maybe, I don't know. It's a nice out today. Weather's been weird, so. Uh, the Commanders have a new head coach. Dallas needs a new defensive coordinator. The Eagles have the most senior staff in the entire NFC East. The NFC East has been turned upside down and one higher. More sports bash coming up. This is the Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN and the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. Now live from the Matt Blatt Kia Studios, here's Mike Gill. Just after 5, Sports Bash 97.3 ESPN. Take it to the top of the hour. Text board is open, 609-403-0973. Dan Quinn is the new Washington head coach. Dallas needs a new coordinator. Nick Sirianni and his staff have been together for longer than any other staff in the NFC East. Kellen Moore was hired Saturday. <laughs> Just throw that out there. Continuity happen, uh, works in the NFL, right? Um couple text messages I want to get to 609-403-0973 609-403-0973 Phil checks in he says Mike in the run game it was evidence Hurts was slower less agile it didn't move as well in the pocket last year this was an assumption that he was injured and that the knee clean out or such would be in the offer uh in the offing once the season ended but doesn't seem to be the case so explain what caused the slowdown last year and should we expect the same this year um, uh, you have a, he has another part of the question that we actually talked to, um, Andrew about during football at four. But those are some interesting questions. We did hear a lot about Hertz's knee and that there could have been an injury there, but nothing in the offseason. We never heard like, hey, Jalen was playing, you know, hurt, or he was playing with a torn meniscus, or he was playing with like, uh, an LCL strain or anything, just anything, bone bruise. Like, we never really got a follow up to the knee injury issue that it appeared Jalen Hurts had and that he was reported to have during the course of the season. So, Phil, your question is a fair one. You know, you said there's an assumption that he was injured. And that there would be some sort of clean out. We have not heard anything about any of that from anybody. Um, to my knowledge, I mean, during the press conference, nobody asked. They asked if Jalen Hurts had say on the Brian Johnson thing, but nobody said, Hey, how's Jalen? Like he looked, didn't look the same. Is there any update as to why? Did he have some sort of sprain, strain, 
knee issue, something. Because you're right. It was evident that Hertz was slower, less agile, and didn't move all that well in the pocket last year. Those are all fair. And we have to ask the question, how much of that factored into why this offense got Brian Johnson fired? You know, is there a part of Jalen Hurts that feels kind of guilty that he couldn't play his best for his friend because he wasn't healthy and that ended up getting him fired? I don't know. I mean, this whole thing is weird. The whole situation is bizarre. Did Hurts care if Johnson got fired? Was he angry about it? Did he not care? Is he like, I'm done with this offense? Keep this in mind. This is now, you know, this isn't fun for a quarterback when Kellen Moore walks in, sits down, and has his playbook and says, there you go, go learn that thing, go study up. Like, I don't want to spend another offseason having to study a new playbook if I don't have to. And that's exactly what Hurts has to do now. You have to be thinking about, Phil, your question, which I think is a good thought-provoking one. Why was Hurts less athletic last year? Why was he not a big part of the run game? Why, when he did run, did it look almost painful? Like, watching Jalen Hurts run, RPO, and some of the stuff that he did last year, it was like watching Joel Embiid play against the Warriors the other night. You were like, I mean, get him off the floor. I I don't want to see this. So, like we kept saying, Hurts is not the same. He's not running the ball with the same authority. He is not um, making the same decisions. He is not showing the same burst. Every once in a blue moon, you might see it, right? Every once in a while, you might see him like a designed run. He would take the shotgun snap and then kind of follow somebody through, um, maybe the running back or, or, or somebody and, and, you know, pick up some big yardage. But those runs were few and far between, man. Such a difference from what we saw. So, Phil, I think your question is definitely fair. The assumption that he was injured has not been brought to light. The assumption that he was injured has not been at all justified by anybody as this season has ended. You know, hey, Jalen, you know, your running numbers, you take a look at your rushing numbers from last year to this year. They're way off. Any explanation for that? Not necessarily, no. Just uh, didn't run the ball as well this year. We didn't have, you know, the same. This year, for instance, Jalen Hurts was second on the team in in running uh, yards. 605. I mean, he didn't have a schlep rock here. He averaged 3.9 yards a carry. He had 157 carries this season. So he had a decent season running the ball. He only averaged 3.9 yards a carry, hardly a dynamic player in the rushing game. Now, we know why. Because of so many tush pushes, his yards per carry is minimal. Well, last year, he had 165 carries, which is not all that more than he had this year. Last year, he had 165. This past season, he had 157. But the yards per carry last year, he almost got five yards a carry. He had 760 yards last year. And by the way, this year he played two more games than he played last year. He only played 15 games. He missed two games last year. So he had more attempts last year in less games. He had more yards last year in less games. 
he had a better yards per carry. Now, it doesn't matter how many games you play, but the yards per carry are here because he had more carries, <laughs> and he still had a better yards per carry there. His long run of last year was 42 yards. This is the one that's interesting. 42 yards was his long run. Uh, 24 yards this year. 42 last year. So that shows you a little bit of the explosion that his biggest play a year ago was a 42-yard run. And this year it was only a 24-yard run. So he didn't even have one play this year where he just kind of broke free and went. A lot of the times, how did those Jalen Hurts runs end? Him just kind of either falling down awkwardly, right? Or like running out of bounds and just saying, all right, I'm out, I'm done. 24 yards is like, come on, Kenneth Gainwell had a bigger run than you did this year. Kenneth Gainwell had a 32-yard run. Last year, Jalen Hurts' 42-yard run was the longest run of the season for any player on the entire team. Think about that. His 42-yard run last year was the longest run out of everybody on the team. This year, his 24-yard run. Swift had a 43. Gainwell had a 32. His was 24. Another number that is kind of interesting Yards per game. He averaged 50 yards per game last season. This season, he only averaged 35 yards a game. Now, that's obvious when you heard all the carries and the yards, but his yards per game were only 35 yards a game this year. So I even am surprised that that number was as high as it was, but it was still 15 yards below where it was last season. So your question, Phil, I think is a good one. It brings up a lot of questions that haven't been answered or even asked this offseason. The assumption about Jalen Hurts. Why haven't we heard anything? Is there something coming? Did he have some secret clean out that we don't know? Is that coming still? Does he just need a little clean out? Like not arthroscopic surgery here that's going to have him laid out for months. But, you know, just kind of something that he might need to be on crutches for two weeks and just kind of, you know, get ready for the next phase of the offseason, which, by the way, what did McMullen say? I think it's March 14th, did he see? What is it now? I thought it was 14th. I thought he said the 14th, yeah. Uh, so that was the first part of the question that Phil asked about Hertz. The second part of the question, he said, is the RPO DOA? Now, I asked that question exactly to Andrew DeCecco today. Is Kellen Moore going to keep the RPO as part of his offense? I mean, that's more of a Sirianni thing, less of a Prescott, I mean, Moore thing. But I say Prescott, a fraudulent slip there because let's look at Dak Prescott. Let's go to Dak Prescott and his role in the Dallas run game, because they're not a big um, – Prescott is not um, the same runner that uh, Jalen Hurts is. You go back to the last season that Ke- Kellen Moore was the coordinator in Dallas, which was 2022. Correct. Dak Prescott only ran the ball 45 times the entire season. 182 yards. He averaged four yards a carry. His long run was 25. So he had 25 yards of his 182 on one run. He only averaged 
15 yards per game. So Dak Prescott and the RPO, not a big part of Kellen Moore's offense. So I'm interested to see, is the question that Phil asked, is the RPO DOA? I'm not sure about that because on one hand, you would say history suggests, yes, they didn't run it really at all in in uh, L.A., Justin Herbert, not a big runner himself. Right. More mobile than I think people would give him credit for. But um, Prescott, also not a big part of the run game. This year, for instance, Justin Herbert, who can move, like, but he's not a runner. He had 52 carries for 228 yards. Nothing big there. He averaged 17 yards a game. So 17 yards a game for Herbert, 15 yards a game for Dak Prescott, are we going to see Jalen Hurts go from a guy who was at 50 yards a game down to 35 yards a game all the way down to one of these guys where he's at 15 yards per game? I think that's a very interesting question that uh, Phil brings up on the text board. Well, I think it's interesting about Kellen Moore's background is he doesn't have a background where he is a specific uh, I have to do it this way or else kind of guy. Like he does... He isn't the kind of guy that has walked in as a guy with only learning one method. Yeah, so, I'm not suggesting that, but I guess what I am asking is that's not been a big part of his offense. So does he, as Andrew brought up, and I thought this was another interesting point in the conversation we have for football and four today, the perception, the misconception potentially, and I have said this before, I thought Kellen Moore was a really smart play caller designer in Dallas. I just didn't love the way he used guys like Tony Pollard. You know, when he had Pollard there two, three years ago when Pollard was at his best, I didn't think he got enough out of Pollard when Pollard was the other guy. Like, it was almost like we have Zeke Elliott, we have to use him more. Right. So his running game led them to have multiple thousand-yard rushers. I think the perception was just Kellen Moore doesn't run, run the ball at all. Right. And Andrew was saying... Um, that's not actually accurate for people out there that they've actually had multiple thousand yard rushers in Kellen Moore's system. So that's interesting. The other thing that I find interesting, if you take a look at the offense this season, which is kind of hard because Eckler, I think, definitely lost a step, right? Wouldn't you say Eckler kind of dropped a, a step? He was also banged up for part of the year, so that didn't help. Yeah. He, he, he already was coming in a little older, longer in the tooth, but then he got injured too, which compounded things. But the thing that I want to bring up about Eckler was even though he did not have the game, the, the season running the ball, he did still catch 51 balls out of the backfield this year. And if you throw him, um, now I don't know who the running back will be, but are they going to utilize the running back out of the backfield more? The other guy is Gerald Everett, the tight end, who if you look at him and combine him with Donald Parham, those two guys combined for almost 80 catches last year, the two tight ends in, um, I keep wanting to say San Diego. You throw those two guys and combine them, they always had 80 catches last year. So the tight end position is also something to kind of keep an eye on to see if Dallas Goddard can get a little bump in the tight end. Now you go back to the 2022 season in Dallas, the second Reception guy in Dallas was Dalton Schultz. He was number two behind C.D. Lamb. So he had 57 catches in the offense. Um, Jake Ferguson that year had 20. So you're looking at 77 catches 
from the tight end position there. We should also remember that Kellen Moore likes to run play action. So what is the key to play action? you got to run the ball. So if you're going to run the ball and you're going to run play action, those are elements that are all they're going to be different. So maybe you don't run as much RPO, but maybe instead you run more under center. Jalen Hurts lining up in the I formation more than he has in the past. So, you know, you give the Eagle fan more running, but maybe less RPOing. And that's a possibility is that and I listen, I, I would imagine this is where the Nick Sirianni it's not his offense. It's not my offense, offense. It's our offense. This is the element that Nick Sirianni wants to keep into play. Hey, I want the RPO to be a part of the the offense, the decision-making. That's where Jalen ex- excelled. But we need to we needed to peel the onion a little bit more. We couldn't be just this one-trick pony, but we want to keep that one trick in the, in the playbook. And I think that's where this hire is an exciting one. If you're an Eagles fan, because Kellen Moore, I like, I think he did a really good job in Dallas in the past game and, and like some of the, um, some of the, you know, play design, play call. I thought he was a good, I think he went through moments of being really good. And then he had weeks where you were, he was inconsistent. And maybe that was because he was a young play caller. Maybe some of that had to do with the fact that, I mean, the guy is what, 36 years old? Like 35, yep. Yeah. I think he's 36 this year. So it's like, it's not like he's been doing this a long time. So maybe when he gets to Philadelphia, you're going to get the best version of Kellen Moore. Well, can you imagine you're Kellen Moore in 2022? Your offense generated 509 points, which was number one in the league. And he got a pink slip. Did they part ways or was he fired? <laughs> I don't remember. <laughs> I don't, I don't. I don't remember. I think he was went. relieved of his duty. Yeah, I think that's that, what it was. That how it went. But think about that. He had the number one scoring offense in the league, and they that, said no, thank year. you. And they said not good enough. And <laughs> you know, for whatever reason, uh, I always thought. But I liked. I thought that he did a good job, but I was frustrated with him at times because of their personnel. I, I could say too. I was probably a bigger Pollard fan than a lot of people were. Like, I don't feel they got enough out of Pollard. I don't think you're the only person who said there are a lot of fancy football managers that felt the same way. Well, if they were on their team. I'm trying to be objective and say Pollard wasn't on my fantasy team. (laughs) I still felt like they went through the phase of we have Zeke Elliott making all the money, so we can't really push him down the depth chart, but we probably should – design the offense more around Pollard. I don't think he's going to have that problem here because as of right now, he doesn't even have a running back on the roster. Well, that's what I was going to Although ask Although he you. does, he has uh, Gainwell. Kenny Gainwell. But is, is Kellen Moore going to come in here and maybe say to them, I think you should bring back DeAndre Swift. You should get somebody else. Like, what do you think he's like, – if, if the Cowboys ran Elliott as the primary one, and didn't use enough of Pollard is more going to tell the Eagles, you guys need to make sure you have number one back here. And it's not Kenny Gainwell. Uh, good question. I mean, the last year he was in Dallas, Pollard, 
actually had a thousand yards, but he had less carries than Zeke. Correct. Zeke Elliott had 231 carries. Pollard was like the big play guy. And Pollard had 193. But Pollard averaged five yards a carry. So I guess as we were talking about this earlier with, um, I keep blanking on Andrew's name today. Andrew DeCheco. Andrew DeCheco. Why Hope am I blanking on it? I mean, I am playing hurt today. I but... mean, you're in so, your, your toe is in pain, so it's distracting <laughs> you. Uh, but Andrew did mention like, you know, hey, you know, he likes to use that big back Elliott as like kind of between the tackles and then, he has these plays where he kind of mixes in. Pollard averaged five yards a carry. Uh, and that season he had nine touchdowns and Zeke Elliott had 12. So they had big, yeah, that goes back to what Andrew was saying about the misconception about the run game. I just didn't, I would have liked to have seen Pollard have the 231 and maybe Zeke Elliott have the 193. You get bigger plays out of but Pollard. But you were paying Zeke a stupid amount of money because of Jerry Jones. That's true. By the way, that's another question. How much of what we saw in Dallas that was a flaw? Was a byproduct of him being in Dallas. I don't know that we've ever heard though that that uh, Jerry Jones gets involved in the game planning. No, but you know you don't pay Zeke Elliott all that money for him to just sit on the bench. The year before, by the way, twenty twenty one, Zeke Elliott had a thousand yards on two hundred thirty seven carries. Pollard had seven hundred nineteen yards on a hundred and thirty carries. He averaged five point five yards per carry. Pollard did. Um so that is kind of where I looked at what Zeke Elliott did and Pollard did and just didn't like kind of the breakdown between the two there. All right, Sports Bash Live, 97.3 ESPN, the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. Mike Gill with you. I think, by the way, good question, Phil, that kind of sparks some good conversation, Eagles conversation in this 5 o'clock hour. You want to jump in on the Eagles conversation, hit me up on the text board. 609 I'm taking you until 6 o'clock tonight. We got the Sixers tonight. No news on Joel Embiid yet. I have not seen anything. Let me hit the old refresh button here. I have not seen anything on Joel Embiid, that MRI that he was supposed to get, um, and some updates within like 24 hours. We haven't seen anything there. Uh, Patriots are hiring Alex Van Pelt to be their next offensive coordinator. He's a pit guy, former pit quarterback. Alex Van Pelt. He was the offensive coordinator in Cleveland. He is going to New England. So a second position filled today. Dan Quinn is the new Washington and Washington Commanders head coach. And now Alex Van Pelt is a new coordinator in New England. So there's some NFL uh, coaching news for you. That's going to start slowing down as everybody has their coaches now, but the coordinators still need to get filled in. More Sports Bash coming up on 97.3 ESPN. We have the perfect. You come with me. The Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN and the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. 530 Sports Bash, 97.3 ESPN. Mike Gill to the top of the hour. So CBS Sports graded all of the head coaching hires. If you were the grader, Josh, how would you be grading these hires? All right, let's start with uh, the Chargers are going with Jim Harbaugh. I give that an A. You like that? I I, I do like that. That's Kirk Cousins would say. Um, I like it because... You, you went Kirk Cousins. I did go Kirk Cousins on that. But not because of Kirk Cousins, but because of Justin Herbert. 
Yeah. Justin Herbert had a defensive-minded coach who stunk at defense for the last couple of years. Now he gets a coach who everywhere he's gone, he has made the quarterback better. So to me, Harbaugh is a guy who's going to help Justin Herbert reach his potential, and he's going to install some real much-needed structure for the Chargers for an organization that has kind of turned into a dumpster fire. Yeah, they were um... – they had so many injury issues and so many things bizarre happened to them, but they're just a poorly coached team. They, their coach got in the way of so many things for them. Yep. And I think, uh, yeah, I mean, to me, he had the pick of the litter. He went to the Chargers. I mean, he had to have – I think um, – I was listening to something. I forget what podcast I was listening to, but the, the, they were saying basically like – oh, it was Greeny. It wasn't a podcast. It was Greeny saying that he – was talking to Harbaugh at a funeral, I think. This happened like a month or so ago. There was like a okay. funeral for a, a Michigan donor or something. And he was talking about the young quarterbacks. And he like mentioned a couple. And then Harbaugh stopped him and was like, Herbert, he's the one. He's the guy. And <laughs> Greeny said at that point I knew that was the team that he was going to coach. And then, of course, he gets named the coach there. So we're, we're going to see – uh, what Justin Herbert uh, kind of comes here. All right, you gave him an A. The Commanders, Dan Quinn, and by the way, CBS Sports agrees. A. Okay. Now, who, who from is a this a CBS staff article or is it like an individual? Cody Benjamin. Cody Benjamin. Okay. All right. Uh, the new hire do not always agree, so this will be interesting. New hire today, Dan Quinn. I give Dan Quinn a B minus. All right. The reason I do is because. I feel like Washington kind of backed – I think Washington wanted Ben Johnson. I think that's who they had their heart set on, right? It's that's okay. Like, the Eagles wanted um, the guy who got hired by the Giants. Uh, ben Bob McAdoo. McAdoo. Ben McAdoo. <laughs> ben McAdoo. Ben McAdoo. They wanted Not Josh, the basketball you know, player, There Bob was a McAdoo. bunch of different guys they didn't get. Right, exactly. That they did want. Mm-hmm. According to reports, Adam Gaze. So just because you didn't guess Adam Gaze, man, what happened to him? He got two cross. Is he out of the league? He's out of the league. I mean, you went from offensive coordinator, hot offensive coordinator, head coach, head two coach jobs. again, gone, vanished. Can't even get a coordinator job without a trace. Used to be a good TV show on CBS. Anyway, um, I I feel like they backdoored their way into Dan Campbell. I'm sorry, Dan Quinn, not Dan Campbell. I'm looking at him with the hat backward on I did television. Dan Campbell earlier, too. Yeah. I see the hat, and I think Dan Campbell. But it's the no, idea. The, the backwards hat is Dan Quinn. Right. But I won't have to look at that anymore. Him in the booth upstairs with the hat on backwards. I got so If he wears sick. a hat on the sideline, how disappointed will you be? I think he did in Atlanta, but he wore it forward. He, and he was forward. on the side, Like I said earlier, in, in Atlanta, he was on the field with the hat on straight. In Dallas, he was up in the box with the hat on backwards. He always had the hat on backwards yeah. up there. And they showed him all the t- – I felt like he was on TV as much as Taylor Swift. Probably more. So what's the grade? B minus. I, I look at Dan Quinn as a guy who had success because of the coordinators he had. I think his success will be purely dependent on who his coordinators are. Um, they gave him a D plus. Whoa. Yeah. I don't love the hire either. Dan Quinn doesn't – yell to me 
franchise-altering, changing head coach. He's just like the safe guy. Yeah, we might be 11-6 and six and make the wild card. Or we're a one-and-done type of team. Yes, I know they went to the Super Bowl, but after that Super Bowl season, they were 18-23. and 23. They never made the playoffs. So I, I feel like the, the Falcons uh, run there for him had the one year that kind of is like the outlier. In six seasons, I was surprised he was there six years. Dan Campbell's a Toyota Camry. It, Quinn. It, it, Quinn. I'm I'm already feeling at this game. Next. Raheem Morris, the Falcons. I give it a B plus because Raheem Morris was already in the building a couple years ago. And apparently he left an impact on the organization. And I think that this is a guy who showed that he is much more mature now than when he took over Tampa a decade ago. They gave him a B. Um he was four and seven as the interim for Dan Quinn in Atlanta. That's an interesting story. How many people are the interim head coach at a place leave and then end up coming back to coach that team? Must have left a good impression. Thirty-two years old when he was the head coach in Tampa Bay. Yeah, yeah. I think he's grown a lot in ten years. Um, yeah, and he was the defensive coordinator for the, the Super Bowl champion Rams. Mm-hmm. That's yes. right. So, yes, sir. Uh, they gave him a B. All right, so we're at least in the same conversation there. Dave Canales is the new Carolina Panthers coach. I'm giving it a C minus. Yeah, man. I don't think Canales has enough of a track record for me to be like, yeah, this is the guy. I understand that guy. He was in Seattle for many years, was Canales. And, yes, he did a very good job in Tampa. But there's a part of when you look at Canales' resume that doesn't – I don't know if him paired with Dave Tepper is a good fit. I don't know if he's going to come in there and really fix things the way Tepper thinks he's going to. Yeah, I, I just look at, like, what stood out about what Tampa did this year. I mean, Baker Mayfield, okay, had a really good year. But that offense, I mean, wasn't great. It wasn't like this dynamic offense that that's why they exceeded expectations. I think they exceeded expectations just because they played a weak schedule and won games that they really should have won. I don't think it was like, man, Tampa Bay, they're a young team. And, you know, it's not like they were Houston, a young team that kind of exceeded expectations. Mm-hmm. They were just kind of mad that exceeded expectations. Um, they actually give this a B plus. They like the move. CBS Sports likes this move. Yeah, I, 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 I got to see them do something first. Uh, the Patriots, Gerard Mayo. I give it a C. I mean, it, it was literally building the Mayo's contract that he was the coach in waiting. Like, there was no real coaching search. There was no real interviews. You know, it was just, hey, you're the guy. Thanks. Good to be here. Yeah. I mean, listen, when you have to replace Belichick, is this the way you do it, though, with the coach in waiting? Maybe. Instead of having to bring somebody else in, song and dance, and you're the next guy, now you have the guy who's, like, already been there and can kind of, you know, maybe, maybe. Like, it was such a low-profile ending and move. Yeah. You know, they gave him a C-plus, by the way. Okay. So they thought it was meh as well. Uh, the Raiders retaining Antonio Pierce. He was the interim. B-plus. You like this one. I liked Antonio Pierce, what he did with the Raiders. I like the fact that the players are bought into him. My only concern... These things generally don't go well. My only concern is the 
the people advising him may be better coaches than he is. Because he has Tom Coughlin and Marvin Lewis advising him. And it's like, well, Tom Coughlin and Marvin Lewis are not coaching this team. Antonio Pierce is. So what happens when he faces adversity? Like, is is he going to build the kind of coaching staff that is going to be able to hold up? Or is there going to be some rough waters ahead for this relationship? The only thing, like, I will say, this is a pattern of what, Peter King was saying with the CEO coach. I mean, mm-hmm. Pierce is probably not going to be the guy calling the defense. Um, he is going to be the motivator, the yeah. CEO coach. He's going to say, you know, we need this play right now. Let's go. Like, you're going to see Antonio Pierce be a non-conventional head coach. And it's non-conventional for the Raiders have tried to go with the big-name coach and, failed. and it has failed. Um, so I would say they give him a B minus, by the way. Okay. I would give him a B for, you know what? Let's not get sucked into the Belichick big name or Vrabel or Pete Carroll and go back down that road. Let's give a guy a chance who showed that he deserves a chance. I agree. All right. Next up, Brian Callahan. Not Callahan Motors. No, not Bill Callahan, the former Raiders head coach. No, this is Brian Callahan. He's the son of Bill Callahan. That's correct. Way. He is the new Titans head coach. I give this a C plus. Callahan didn't call the plays in Cincinnati. No, but I mean, there's been a lot of guys who haven't called the plays. I know that have got head coaching jobs. So, Nick Sirianni being one. Doug Peterson uh, being another. By the way. Brian Callahan's former boss, Zach Taylor, in Cincinnati didn't call the plays when he was in That's LA. true. I'm assuming Callahan was a really good interview. I'm assuming that there must have been a connection between the GM down there and him, and that's why he got the job. I think it's a, what, it's a Ray Car- uh, Carthon. I think it's the GM down there in Tennessee. So I'm assuming they had a really good connection, and there was an understanding that the Titans need a rebuild, and you're going to be here a while during that rebuild. So I'm... Um, I'm not overly enthralled. I, I, I don't know what Callahan brings to the table. Without the fact that he's he coached Joe Burrow and he's coached and he's the son of a coach. Like, uh, all right, good for you. Yeah. Well, he's worked with uh, Peyton Manning, Matt Stafford, and Joe Burrow. There is uh, Linny. They're they're the guys he's been a part of um, over his time in the NFL. B minus according to CBSSports.com. All right. all right. Seahawks. Mike McDonald. I give this a B minus. I think that the Seahawks obviously wanted a young guy who's not going to tell John Schneider what to do. Young guy. I think he's like. He's the youngest coach in the league now. He's 36. 36 years old. He is a very young head coach. Um, Yeah, I mean, you gave him a what? B minus? A B minus. They gave him a B. But as McMullen said, another defensive-minded guy that's going out to Seattle now. Pete Carroll was a defensive coordinator as well. So, I don't know. I mean, the Baltimore defense was very good this year. But I'm not a big fan of just hiring someone because you had a good, you know. Um, they had top five, a back-to-back top five scoring finishes. So, they've been a very good defense. I understand why someone say, hey, you've had the best defense in the league the last two years. You're going to get the shot. I think we should take some time at some point to try to do a little recount of who who is on John Harbaugh's coaching tree because 
you know, I know Rex Ryan was in Baltimore before he went to the Jets. So that's the only one I can think off the top of my head. But, you know, with Denard Wilson, him leaving, now Mike McDonald leaving. I'm just curious what the, what the track record of these guys is. Um, I'm trying to think. Because uh, Rex I, Ryan's the only one I can think off the top of my head. Because I know he was uh, in Baltimore. Chuck Pagano. Chuck Pagano with the Colts. So he had a he had an okay tenure. Mm-hmm. In Indianapolis. It wasn't a success. It wasn't a failure either. You would have, um, oh, what's his name? The, the guy who was the coach in uh, Cleveland. And then he went to Oakland, uh, Vegas or whatever, wherever the hell they were. Um, Hugh Jackson? Hugh Jackson. Wasn't he the offensive coordinator in Baltimore? I think so. I know he was the offensive coordinator with the Raiders at one point as well. You've got uh, Mike Pettin, right? He went Mike to- Pettin went to the Bills. He well, was, he was the Cleveland head coach. Oh, well, he was the defensive coordinator in Buff, uh, Buffalo then, was he? In Baltimore. No, I mean, but did he coach in Buffalo as well, Mike Pettin? Oh, I'm, I'm just saying, as a head coach, he was the coordinator in he was Bal- the head coach. In Cleveland. Yeah. Right. Uh, Vic Fangio was on the staff there, was he not? Yeah, but he didn't get a start there. Vic Fangio got his start with Jim Morris Sr., this says, during his time as head coach, six assistant coaches on his coaching staff were hired as head coaches across the league. Hugh Jackson, Chuck Pagano, Rex Ryan, Mike Pettin, Vic Fangio, and David Culley. His coaching tree has a combined record of 149-215-1 in the regular season. So the problem with Hugh Jackson is, is that he coached in one, two, three different cities before he got to Baltimore, and then he coached the Raiders as OC before becoming the Raiders head coach. I don't know if we should put Hugh Jackson on that coaching tree. It feels like a stretch there. Okay. Well, they, this is um, – uh, Marty Schottenheimer was the first person to hire Hugh Jackson. So Andy Reid, the coaching tree of Andy Reid, they have uh, – so this is an interesting website. It has Andy Reid. The parent is Mike Holmgren. Yes. The children – are Brad Childress, Leslie Frazier, John Harbaugh, Steve Spagnolo, Ron Rivera, Pat Shermer, Todd Bowles, David Culley, Matt Nagy, Doug Peterson, and Sean McDermott. You're looking at 12 names that have come off of the Andy Reid tree. By the way, David Culley is on both the Harbaugh and Reid tree, according to this. That's interesting. So they're giving him credit. So apparently... Two people can get credit for one. Does that count as half a sack? Yeah. Uh, By the way, uh, Pettin was in Buffalo the year before he became the Browns head coach. But he got his coaching start in the NFL with the Ravens, but not with Harbaugh's Ravens. He was originally hired by Brian Billick. Then Harbaugh came on board. Then he went with Rex Ryan to the Jets. So... Again, another stretching the, <laughs> stretching it out there a little bit. Like so, you got the uh, Nick Sirianni coaching tree of John Gannon and Shane Steichen. So he is credited for working under Romeo Cornell, Todd Haley, Anthony Lynn, Frank Reich, and Mike McCoy. Whatever happened to Mike McCoy? He was the Chargers head coach. Was he, he coaching somewhere recently? I'm gonna double check. I feel like I've heard him more recently than Adam Gaze. I don't think. Um, I can't remember. Is he like a quarterback? He's not a coordinator. But you figure you were the head coach of the of the Chargers, right? And now 
You're not um, even as much as a coordinator. For years, he was the head coach. Not mm-hmm. like, you know, for like a hot second. Yeah. Pulling up McCoy's background here. Let's see here. Uh, what has he done? Little re- He's actually currently the quarterback's coach for the Jags. How about it? Doug Peterson. He was the OC for the Cardinals in 2018. That's like Joe Philbin. Remember him? Yes. He was the Packers, Dolphins, and back to the Packers. Well, he was the Dolphins head coach. Right, but he started in Green Bay. Yeah. Well, he was the, yeah, he was the, Do- the Green Bay offensive, offensive coordinator. coordinator. They went to become the Dolphins head coach and they went back to being a coordinator. Right. I'm saying. So he, he was the Dolphins. He had the one head coach, but like, that's a guy, you're the name, you get hired, and then you don't do well. And then that's like the whole, like we were talking earlier, like would Sirianni definitively get another opportunity? Well, who do you think is a better head coach, Mike McCoy or Nick Sirianni? I remember um, the year that Mike McCoy, one of the years in there, Mike McCoy, and like the gambling sites were like, you know, Mike McCoy is viewed in the gambling world by like the gambler, like this like genius head coach. Didn't work out for him. No, he didn't. But, you know, he got the coach for four years as the head coach in the NFL. And now nothing. Now he's a quarterback's coach. The quarterback's coach Those are the guys that are bizarre to me. You're the head coach, and then you vanish into, like, nothingness. I'm trying to see if I can track down what happened to Adam Gaze, because apparently he hasn't coached since 2020. I don't think he's in the league. He's not in the league, according to this. Pro football reference. So I'm trying to see if what he did afterward. You know who's on the Adam Gaze tree? Vance Joseph. Is he really? There you go. Good for him. All right, more Sports Bash. We'll close out the show. Coming up next. The Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN and the free mobile app. All right, getting ready to get out of here. I like the text. It came in uh, two hours after the conversation. Mike, get that nail taken care of before it gets infected. Happened to me. The pain is multiplied by 10, if you can imagine. I can't imagine. That conversation we were having was at 4.30. It was. People are concerned about your well-being, Mike. An hour and a half later, that guy it popped into his head, and I appreciate you for that, sir. By the way, I tracked down Adam Gaze. So Adam Gaze was around the Denver Broncos this past season because his father-in-law is Joe Vitt. Yeah, Joe Vitt was the guy who uh, was the interim for the year that Sean Payton was suspended. That's correct. He's got a mustache. Yes, he does. <laughs> a strong duster, you would say, Mike. He does. So, can you imagine how that conversation goes? Hey, Sean, can I bring my son-in-law to work? <laughs> well, if he wants to hang around, you bring your son to work day every day. <laughs> son-in-law? Not even your son. Oh, yeah. Your geez. son-in-law. Dan Quinn hired to be the new head coach for the uh, Washington Commanders. You know, I, I started to go down like, you know, people go down these rabbit holes. There's all these coaching rabbit holes of where they started. And, you know, you're always looking at the lineage of where they worked and who they worked with. And then like, you know, yeah, you know that guy. We worked together somewhere. You know, like, where did it all begin for some of these guys? And then how they got to where they ended up getting to. It's right. always a very interesting uh, dynamic. Connect the dots. Yeah, well, I mean, like you said, Adam Gaze was... Well, wasn't Adam Gaze... Didn't he get hired because he was the Denver coordinator? I think so. When 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 Manning was there. Right? Wasn't he Denver's offense? That's what... And that's my point about, like, just because you were the coordinator for, 
like a team and you had a lot of success. Yeah, he was uh, with Peyton Manning for a couple of years in Denver. Then went to Chicago for one year and then became the Dolphins head coach. All right, that's it for me. Josh has game night up next. Coming up on tomorrow's show, uh, Mike Gill is toting I hope so. I hope it feels way different than it feels right now. Uh, Mike McGarry tomorrow. Uh, get thoughts on the Joel and Beat thing. We should have some clarity on that hopefully by tomorrow. Also, uh, John Marks is on tomorrow's show. Adam Kaplan is on tomorrow's show. My Friday Five on tomorrow's show. Yeah, played hurt today. Well, for the last like two hours of the show. It was fine up until like 4.15. 4.15 is when it started to really get Alright, I'm out of here. Talk to you tomorrow, everybody. Have a great one. This has been the Sports Bash on 97.3 ESPN.